You're listening to a Rock Candy podcast. You are now entering Magnified Studios. Welcome. Coming to you from Magnified Studios, Magnified Pod presents It's Hard to Find a Podcast. Covering your favorite indie bands from the 90s Christian alternative scene. Put your tape decks on record. I'm Andrew. I'm John. This is our podcast. And John, these last couple of weeks have been very inconsistent because <laughs> yes. sometimes. Sometimes the world has other plans. Sometimes <laughs> life has other plans, mm. but we will get there. Yes. Um, Sometimes think... you get your model home and then the good Lord takes it away. <laughs> yes. Yeah. My kingdom for uh... a negative COVID test. <laughs> a negative COVID test. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm, my voice is, is primarily back to tip top form, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean John, I don't need something to what the old whistle, as they say. That's right. Do you um, say that? Do you know what I say? <laughs> I say I slam some hams. Hey, what better way to celebrate your new tattoo slash feeling a little better? Yes, than an old hammies. That's right. Um, well, I've had a, a different past few days than you, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just in terms of you having to quarantine. Um, I just got back as we're recording today from a a trip to Michigan for a long weekend, which was wonderful and stopped by the great shorts brewing in Michigan, where I picked up an exterior illumination, an American sour ale brewed with cranberries, black currants, and Northern Michigan blue spruce tips. That sounds that's a weird beer, baby. (laughs) Yeah, John, but that's not the beer I was expecting you to pop out right now. Uh, which what was that? I was expecting you to crack open a couple uh, a couple of wheeze the juice oh, or well, wheeze, wheeze in the juice. I was more just showing you that that existed. You know, it's kind of an IPA <clears throat> thing, not necessarily my first choice, but I'm sure it was delightful. Uh, <laughs> there was there yeah was for the a... for those of you who aren't Patreon punks. When we do our bonus, our bonus episodes, uh, we we end all of our bonus episodes uh, for some by, reason. For some reason, it started off as a joke, and then it's just is is inexplicably stuck around, like many of the things we do. Indeed. But yeah, we we say keep on wheezing the juice, and um, and I thought, oh, John's gonna pick up some wheezing the juice, and. Well, no juice was wheezed. No juice was wheezed. Not that kind of juice necessarily, but I had to send you a picture. <laughs> it's the uh, the Grand Armory Brewing in Michigan has a wheeze in the juice, juicy IPA uh, with the description, a juicy IPA for nugs, chilling and grindage, buddy, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty great. Um, but what's also great is this uh, delightful sour I hear, have here from Shorts Brew. So, you know, yeah. to each their own. I have been to the Grand Armory uh, <sighs> Brewing Company before. Mm-hmm. And they have very good beer. Yeah. So, I mean, there's... I've been I've been very satisfied with the the beers I've had from there before. So, um, 
you're not wanting for good beer when you go to Michigan. No, that is very, very true. Have you have you have you tasted this yet? Or are you have you? Yeah, it's or, delightful. I yep. love it. Tastes like blueberries and pine trees. Doesn't it? T- I mean, a lot of Michigan beers have that sort of cherry ish. You know, cherries are so big there. I feel like they try to do a lot with cherries or black currants, as this one has, or cranberries. And I feel like it's got that. It's a sour, but it's got a nice kind of cherry finish. It's not too tart. So nice. recommend. Didn't you say it had blueberries in it? Um, mm, cranberries, black currants, and northern Michigan blue spruce tips. Oh, blue spruce tips. Okay, I never for, confuse a blueberry for a spruce tip. No, no, that that no one, no one's having a good time there. No. Not only did you have a probably more exciting weekend than me, yeah. uh, you had a more exciting week period than I <laughs> yes. did. True. For any number of reasons, uh, two. Two specific reasons, John. Uh-huh. Why don't you why don't you enlighten us what these this last week has yes. uh, brought upon well, you? Among the other things that uh, your unfortunate positive COVID test uh, limited for you was your ability to see Pedro live, which That's we true. Yep. talked about on the pod. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. Uh, your brother yes. did go, which we may hear a little bit more about later. Yep. Um, but yes, I am sad that you didn't get to go. We will go to a Pedro show at some point together. I've, I vow this. And, I uh, it, it's you know what? I have many feelings about this. Uh, I I do fully request John that you accompany <laughs> me to some sort of a house show if he ever yes. does those again. Yeah, because I think you will. I want to see. I want to see a. Okay, I'm I'm jumping too far ahead, but sure. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't. I'm just. I'm just still bummed. You know. Yeah. Because you know, I was. I was so. It was going to be my first Pedro show. Yeah. Uh, and everything just got fucked up, man. So yeah. anyway, you. I jumped. I jumped all over your story. That's right. You, you no, I, I am very sad. However, I do think. Perhaps a venue like a, a living room show or something more intimate would be a, a cool one for us to experience them together and probably would be more versatile in the set list. I know we've referenced a couple times, you know, yeah, no spoilies about the set list, but this first half of the tour at least is over for now. So I feel like it's okay to say, yeah, very, very heavy on the two most recent records on, on right. Phoenix and Havasu. He pretty much played all of Havasu, which I will say I'm grateful that I've been spending so much time with them for the pod, right. like, because I have, I didn't mind at all. Now I really love these records and did not mind at all seeing them live. Cause they were, you know, the only ones I really hadn't seen uh, live very much. Um, but if I hadn't been listening, you know, my, we'll get into this more when we talk about Phoenix uh, later in the pod, but like my first impressions of both records was kind of like, uh, I don't know if this is really, the Pedro for me. And I don't know if I wouldn't have, I would have spent as much time with it uh, if we weren't covering him for the pod. So if I had just gone under those circumstances, I might've been like, boy, it was really heavy on that new stuff. But if you're into it as the crowd seemed to be, um, it was really cool to hear all that stuff. Uh, as I think Robert, and maybe a couple other people mentioned a pretty sparse band uh, these days. I mean, the Pedro yeah. lineup for both of these records and Pedro 2.0, is limited to Dave and a guitarist and a drummer. And Eric Walters has been the guitar player 
for both of these records um, and for both tours. And uh, there had been a different drummer for Phoenix and the Phoenix tour versus this tour. But this tour, we got Terrence Ankeny on drums. And Terrence is also the lighting designer, which is like a cool uh, yeah. repertoire to be able to have sure. both of those things. And I know that he designed the lights for Pedro's first tour back together uh, maybe four years ago. And I remember being struck by how cool the lighting was for that. Um, and he did he did the uh, the lights for that and then uh, this tour as well, but also was on the drums and they sounded great. Um, really cool three piece. I think they were able to effectively convey a lot of the sonic design of these two records on stage. Um, but yeah, he did do a little, uh, they did do Indian Summer, which I sent you a little clip of, I think. Right. No, um, and no, I, come, no come corner. There was no, no, no talk of corporate come. And actually, I think I even posted this on social, but what I thought he said was... Bubblegum? Yeah, he, I thought he said he changed the, ta- the uh, that way they'll naturally have the taste of corporate come to the taste of bubblegum. That's what I heard. But when I listened back to the video, he definitely says the barrel of a gun, um, which is also very dark. But I feel vindicated because I looked it up and he has said the taste of bubblegum instead of corporate come recently. So maybe I just had that in my head or something. But hmm. no, it's pretty clear he said that way they'll naturally love the barrel of a gun, which I'm like, boy, that's even, <laughs> these are all dark. <laughs> I kind of like the bubblegum options because it sort of is like, again, maybe a little less like crass or like on the nose as some of those control things were that we were saying. But like bubblegum sort of gives off that that vibe of that song where it's sort of this like bubblegummy mtv-ish sheen i don't know but the barrel of a gun is also uh, dark and interesting um anyway that was very fun and then he did a little mini solo set where the band left and it was just him on electric guitar and he sang big trucks which was fun he sang hard to be um from cursey branches he did mr whole fixing man and did not do mr whole fixing man um but that was fun and then he maybe did possibly one or two other um songs that weren't from the last couple records but none that i can really think of so it's heavy on that um i saw him at at talia hall in chicago which is a great venue sounded great um there weren't a ton of people there and wild yeah i don't know i mean when i saw him i'm pretty sure this is how it went he came like four years ago when pedro reunited and that was a big tour and he played talia hall then too and the room was like pretty much if not sold out like very very full right which was encouraging and then i think he came back like a year later on the phoenix tour and i i think i'm remembering this right uh our other friend andrew was saying this that like the game of thrones finale was the same time oh no (laughs) as the dave as the pedro show and i was like i don't know i've seen him a lot recently i don't really love phoenix which is what i was saying at the time and i was like i gotta see game of thrones which is now so lame because (laughs) i'm sure the pedro show is more enjoyable than the game of thrones finale which uh no one enjoyed um but anyway i had heard that that was pretty like very sparsely attended to and he even like talked about it on stage um but yeah not not as many people as i would have liked to have seen there um and he didn't really do, he didn't do a Q&A, but he did answer some shouted questions from the audience, um, yeah. which I suppose is nice. And when somebody asked how the tour is going, he's like, it's going great. And he's like, you know, by some metrics, it's maybe not doing too well, <laughs> which I think he was referencing, like maybe not a, as many tickets sold as hoped. And he's like, but I kind of don't mind because the people who have come are so into it and so respectful, which is definitely what I found. Like the crowd loved it and they were 
you know, paid very close attention and sang along and it was a great crowd. Um, quiet, hopefully. Quiet, except for one lady who, when Dave went into like just a brief um, little spiel about wearing masks and how important it was, she was like, play another tune. Oh and my like, God. Uh, and he got like a look on his face that I haven't seen <laughs> very often where he was like, oh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm talking right now. <laughs> it's just like, oh, that lady should shut up. Um, so that was weird. I don't know if it was mask, if like she was mad about the mask stuff that he was saying, or if she was just like yelling a weird, but that was like the only like off note the whole time. Nobody asked if anything was a metaphor. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he kind of did go on a, he had a little um, speech about like that they were requesting at every venue on the tour that people wear masks in the audience and how many friends they had in bands who had to cut their tours short or cancel them entirely because somebody in the band got COVID and how they thought someone for whom that happened to recently that that happened because they got sick from someone who was at a show who wasn't wearing masks. So they were just like stressing, like, thank you for wearing masks. And that's the only way we can keep doing this. And mm -hmm. that the way that he sees live music really being able to continue in the coming years is probably to require masks and maybe shows look a little different and they're maybe not going to sell as well. So I don't know. It was kind of a bummer in one way. I appreciated the, his emphasis on trying to keep folks safe. Um, and yeah. it was a really, I thought a really cool vibe to the the show. The energy of the show was clearly a very appreciative audience and he seemed to appreciate that, um, that response. So yeah, he, uh, Oceanator is the band that opened. Yes. Um, they rule. They were very fun. Uh, they're also a uh, polyvinyl slash undertow um, artist, just like Pedro is. Um, so I had heard their name, but not seen them live, and they were super fun. Um, headed by uh, a black woman frontman who is like unusual for the world <laughs> of indie rock, uh, but it's essentially um, her project and. I am going to forget her name. It's Elise uh, Okusami. Um, okay. And I think that's right. Yes. And um, her keyboard player uh, was the lead singer of the band Lady Pills, which is also a band that rules. Um, and so they were rocking out together. It was great. There's also a guitar player and a drummer, but highly recommend Oceanator for folks who haven't uh, checked them out or seen them. Um, and yeah, it, it was just a, it was a really great show. I was very satisfied after not having seen him for so long after having talked about him for weeks now getting ready for it on the pod um was really happy with it but then the next morning i got an even more special opportunity which i alluded mm. to last week where he played um he did a sound opinions taping um uh, recording an episode of the great uh long time public radio show and podcast um and the band played at the goose island tap room which was fun because you could grab a beer, um, sit down. And as I mentioned, our buddy, Andrew Gill, uh, who is a producer on Sound Opinions and a longtime friend of mine, uh, kind of organized the whole thing. He's a, he's a big Bazan and Pedro fan um, and has had him on the show before, but having him play live uh, at Goose for them was kind of his idea. And I thought it was great. They played three songs for the episode, plus one bonus song they asked if they could play um so i don't know if that'll make it onto the actual episode or not but they were all from havasu 
Um, I thought they were all, they all sounded great. I was sitting directly in front of him in a room of like maybe 30 people. Amazing. Uh, very cool. And yes, I did get to talk to him after. Uh, he knows about the pod. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I was like, yeah, you know, I interviewed you you years ago for Sojourner's Magazine and he totally remembered that and the details about that which I was surprised by and then I told him about the pod and kind of what we're trying to do here and I was like yeah actually the season we're doing is called uh, it's hard to find a podcast and he like smiled big and was like oh no way and <laughs> seemed very psyched at that prospect and so it was very cool to me and got some very smiley pictures with him and he just seemed really down with the whole idea just a good dude always in my experience and uh, I thought in the interview with him too um, they got some really great answers from him um it's uh greg cott and jim de regatis who are two yeah. longtime chicago music critics and um i don't know it, I, I really think they provoked some interesting answers from dave um and kind of a special experience to get to see him in that mm, venue and capacity and, and talk about this stuff explicitly and at length and i think one of the things i was really struck by which we'll kind of get into as we discuss phoenix and havasu is his sort of project with these five albums he's doing now about the places he's lived. Uh, We're too into the five he's planning, how it's really sort of been healing for him to address the kid that he was um, today and sort of like parent the kid uh, now. And I don't know, I mean, that's evident in the songs, but hearing him really name that, it reminded me a lot of the stuff you've said on the show about sort of, listening to your body and how often folks are taught in certain Christian circles to not listen to your body, to deny yourself, to sort of trick yourself into thinking that you shouldn't prioritize yourself, but sort of deny yourself and how clearly traumatizing that was for him and how he's only sort of now getting to know himself and and making peace with the kid who he felt was denied. So I don't know, it was really powerful to hear him talk about that and kind of gave some new context to some of these songs. So two really cool experiences i'm sad that you could not see them but um yeah really kind of special experiences so i was very very pumped about it yeah man thanks for sharing that um yeah i think um just as the theme of his it's it's not just uh especially with you know the start of with phoenix mm-hmm. uh huge themes and we'll get into it more of um what you're mentioning that his yeah getting to know himself and and not just being like oh these were experiences but just not having a chance to know what being a kid was like necessarily because it was just like having to push everything down and push everything away and Mm -hmm. and now only much later in his 40s (laughs) yeah right like understanding and wrestling with a lot of that so i think it's there's a lot going on in this in this in these records and i'm mm-hmm. really excited to see uh because it's like i think he's learning about himself as he's doing the doing this project and yeah it's interesting to think oh i wonder what he's going to continue to discover yeah as he writes more of this music and and it's so it's so personal and, and right. to see to again it's it's another it's like we're being on another journey with him yeah totally you know? It's, it's yeah. so it's it's so uh, personal and yeah to be able to have him let people in like that is it's kind of a gift because i yeah. think a lot of people are obvi- obviously are still going to resonate with this right uh, with this uh part of his life as well because 
Um, and maybe there will people be people who listen to these records and think, oh, I, I've never really thought about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there's something, maybe I should think about that. And right. Maybe ways that I've denied myself. And um, yeah, I think that's, I think it's his, I mean, his work is always valuable, not just yeah. in the, in the artistic and musical sense, but um, what, I, what he provides a community of people uh, that are, that are continuing to follow him. I just said, yeah, doing some pretty profound stuff. Yeah. As we've said, it's like people could really track him where he's gone on that journey you're talking about where it's like the early days it's like ooh, he's poking at some stuff from within the christian world and we appreciate that permission and then it was like you know if you want to call cursey branches like the deconstruction record then people right. could resonate with that and now it's like i don't think he necessarily identified this way but they are sort of like post deconstruction or deconversion records where so what do you do after you make that sort of declaration well it's a lot right. about sort of reconnecting with yourself um, mm-hmm. from when you were first introduced to, to these ideas and the sort of how that what that wrought for you in those years and so anyway I think it's really fascinating that he sort of as you said continues that and it really does feel like we spent a lot of episodes being like okay so these are all pretty much fiction and it was like well the lines between these fictional short stories and what's him is starting to blur and now it's just like so personal and clearly yeah directly from his life it's like a really different sort of incarnation of the pedro thing but still in the same spirit like you were saying so yeah Yeah. i don't know cool stuff so that was your sunday and your monday my tuesday was me finding out i had covid um (laughs) and so tuesday night was the was when i was supposed to go to that timing I know. It sucks. <laughs> it's so Couldn't it have been the next day? It's so stupid. Oh, well, I would have had COVID. I just wouldn't have known it. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> it's probably best case scenario. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, I uh, ended up being able to pass on those tickets to my brother and another one of our friends. So mm-hmm. they were able to go to the show. And uh, so Brian, my brother, uh, yes. past, past guest, future guest, past future guest, he left us a voicemail to share about his experience at that show. Hey guys, this is Brian from Minneapolis. Just wanted to check in about a few uh, items, Pedro, mostly Pedro related. But um, John, I fully support the Jenny's Everything Bagel take. I have yes. tasted it. I've been looking <laughs> all over Minneapolis trying to find it at stores that carry Jenny's and not been able to track it down. Mm, but you have to find it, it sounds- in store. Awesome. So I'm looking forward to tasting that at some point. And, um, you know, you can ignore Andrew's take on that. Um, John, I also <laughs> wanted to ask, were we at the Pedro Vic Chestnut show in the D.C. area the year we both lived that we overlapped there? I, I went I know I went to that show it was like 2005, 2006. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned it on last week's pod. And I don't know. I, I would be shocked if we weren't there together. But um, yeah. Anyway, just wanted to see if you had any memory of that. Um, I do want to talk about Pedro's current tour. I went to the show in Minneapolis last night um, through a series of unfortunate uh, <laughs> developments for uh, Andrew. I was I had his tickets um, and feel bad that he wasn't there. But uh, so I might not be the most uh, reliable narrator about Pedro because I I I listened. Achilles' heel was an album I listened to a ton. 
and then I for whatever reason Bazan and then the subsequent Pedro iteration have just slipped off my radar but show was great um Oceanator was melting faces they were awesome so yeah uh you know, check them out if you haven't. Um, it was a, it was an interesting show, Dave. I, I mean, I'm not gonna talk about necessarily what songs he played, but a couple of things that he mentioned that I found meaningful and interesting. Like he t- he spent a couple minutes talking about masks and like just mm. thanking mm-hmm. people who were wearing the masks and be like, hey, this is this is not going away. This for musicians who need to play live shows to make money in the streaming era, we need to stay safe. We need to be have our tours not be canceled because we all get COVID and stuff like that. So, you know, uh, you know, he said something along, don't pay attention to Twitter science. You know, you haven't had a cold or flu in two years, you know, use your, use your brains. Um, and the other thing he said that I found like, I mean, it was both, it played for a laugh, but it was also like really got to the heart of what he does. He said, you know, he's like, I've been touring for like 24 years and it wasn't until like year 15 that he realized he wrote grief music, which I think anybody who was listening to his music probably, maybe if they wouldn't call it, have called it that, understood that mm. it to be, it's like inherently what that is. Um, you know, and he said, you know, so he talked about that for a while and I found it like incredibly thoughtful and he connected it to being to our city and just that like, he loves Minneapolis. He's ended a bunch of tours here and that he knows that our city has experienced a lot of like mm. grief and pain over the last couple of years. Mm. Um, and that experiencing that is, you know, you can't just shove it away. You need to experience it and let it run through your body and let it. Mm. Um, so, and I, I'm not speaking as eloquently as he did, but it was, a, uh, you know, he just seems like, such a good thoughtful guy and um yeah i really i really dug the show and um you know it uh it was great so anyway um thanks guys uh magpie for life yeah thanks buddy um, man i when brian shared some of that with me before and you know when i was he was recapping the show and just hearing that part again where he was talking about grief how he was writing grief music and Mm. that how long it took dave to realize kind of what he was doing and just Mm. tying that into uh the sustained grief that's been experienced in the twin cities in recent years um i if i weren't there i probably would have burst into tears just like thinking about a lot of that stuff and just thinking about ways that I process grief and, mm-hmm. and letting, and it's, it's sort of the way I do process grief is mm-hmm. I let it run its course. And it's hard for me to just like push, push that kind of stuff away and mm-hmm. working on the idea of radical acceptance and, mm-hmm. and yeah, I, 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 you know, some of the stuff, I don't know how much he says it, Obviously, the mask thing is mm-hmm. um, he's probably saying that a lot of shows just to reiterate its importance. But, you know, that the sort of idea of of grief music and how maybe he the way he writes it, he doesn't intend to do it that way. But it's right. maybe how he uh, how he processes his own grief. But mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, I'm, I just think he's again, like I, like I said earlier, he's just doing such important work. Yeah. What a thoughtful guy. I love that. I hadn't heard that. I don't think the, the grief music idea before, and I hadn't heard him. I don't, I haven't seen him in the twin cities probably since, like I said, like 2000 or something in high school, wow. I think. So the idea of him sort of talking about his connection and understanding of the cities and tying in grief with that is really powerful. That's really cool. I mean, what a, what a, what a thoughtful guy. And Brian, we appreciate your thoughtful thoughts, relaying them. Um, yeah. I, you know, like we were saying, he's, he's been talking a lot about sort of being in his body lately, um, both in his lyrics and in, you know, interviews and stuff. And so that certainly is in keeping with that. He didn't really talk about any of that stuff with us, but he did talk about how it's like, he's like, it's kind of a miracle that we're all standing here in this room together with our central nervous systems working and we're experiencing this. And, you know, just that felt very like <laughs> he mentioned his central nervous system again the next day at the Sound Opinions thing. So clearly he's been thinking about sort of how bodies work and being in your body. And yeah, um, I don't know. I think that's a really cool idea. Just sort of trying to understand that and make peace with that. So that rules. I'm glad you had fun, Brian. I'm glad you could share in the grief. Um, Jenny's ice cream only sells uh, the everything bagel at the actual Jenny's shops, which I'm pretty sure are not in the Twin Cities yet. So that may be why you're running into trouble. I cannot, we certainly went to our share of shows together in DC when we were both living there. I can't remember if we went to that show or not. I know they played two nights and I know I went from folks I was living with in the house. So maybe we met up there. Maybe we went to two different nights. I don't remember the details on that one, but we did go to Danielson together and some other things that'll probably come up later in the season on Othello, et cetera. Um, yeah, that was a good, that was a good show report. From yes. Dude. Appreciate it. And uh, we got to go to some other voicemails. Mm. We have uh voicemail line, 872-762-4763, 872-7MAGPOD. Mm-hmm. And we are starting to get some of the same folks this this uh this season because obviously every season has its has its different fans and yes. and and it's nice to it's nice to have Bobby G back. Yeah. You know, we had some Bobby G a lot more on the on the five iron. That's true. Um and now he's back. We got uh some more Pedro thoughts from our boy. <laughs> Hello, Andrew. Hello, John. <laughs> yes. And the Magpod Nation. <laughs> it's your best boy, Bobby G. Oh, man. At the Pedro Station. Talking about Achilles' heel. Album of the year. <laughs> It's a really good album. Let me be more clear. Achilles Heel is my favorite Pedro album. All the people who disagree can go suck on a lemon. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Achilles Heel is my favorite Pedro the Lion album. 
Top three are probably Transcontinental, The Fleecing, and Bands with Managers, but man, it's a great record. Um, for me, it goes right in line with that like Flannery O'Connor kind of, of writing, mm-hmm. especially Transcontinental. I mean, it right. feels just like that. Uh, I know some people were disappointed at the time that it wasn't a concept record in the same way that Winners Never Quit and Control were, but I think musically I like it even more. And one thing that's really cool is uh, James McAllister, uh, who did the record, or the drums on the record, I think they recorded that whole, all the drums with like one or two mics. Uh, if you go into what? the recording notes, you can you can find some information about that. I want to say in like Gear Sluts or something. I Googled hmm. about it when I was in high school, but... Um, I, I nerded out just so Googling much on like, James playing and stuff that I, I actually booked him for some recordings uh, and he did some recording out in Seattle for some of my, my first recordings in like 2006, 2007 and oh. he's a really cool guy, really awesome to work with really kind and uh, I want to point out one of my favorite details on Achilles' heel which is um, the percussion James is a mm-hmm. great percussionist as well as uh, a drummer just like behind the kit and I love the tambourines and mm-hmm. the shakers and all the cool percussion that's on this record. And pretty much any record that James works on, he'll have some really good percussion. So shout out to James McAllister. Shout out to Achilles Heel. Shout out to Magpod. That's <laughs> Magpod for life. Peace. Thank you, Bobby. Bobby G. <laughs> Coming in, as you know, John. Anybody who who comes at me with a little bit of a a little bit of parody work, <laughs> yes, yes, you're immediately just like speaking my language. Special place in your heart. Special place in my heart. So, Robert, I think you entered like uh, top top ten voicemail contender territory. There, that was that was really that was one for the ages. Well and done. It sounded good. Clearly, it just great. like yeah, yeah, just l- I don't know if you're just like recording into your phone or whatever or how that works, but. Nice warm tone on those guitar strings. Mm, hell yeah, love it. Thank love you. that. Yeah, and good. Um, uh, good insight on the on yeah the recording notes. I didn't. I didn't know that. But yeah, two mics. That's yeah, wild. Surprising and um, yeah, interesting to hear of your connection to him. That that rules. Uh, I we uh, your top three. I think as we mentioned when we were recording, Transcontinental would probably make a lot of other people's, which they seem to when we put out the ask for folks' top three songs. Right. kind of on a lot of lists bands with managers i think too very well represented so that all makes sense all right we got a f- follow-up voicemail from our boy bobby g hey it's your boy bobby g um i'm dropping in with an extra little bit i sent you guys an email with a voice memo but this is uh a old school phone voicemail and i wanted to say something about page of the lion and uh how it relates to something else that is active in the pop culture sphere at the moment. Um, I'm a, a big fan of Better Call Saul, and it's back in its sixth season, which is also its final season. And it's an incredible show, and it's only – like, I, I, it's somehow better than it's ever been. Um, but the reason I'm talking about it and I wanted to call is because it uh, – there's so many common themes between Pedro the Lion and Better Call Saul that – I don't mm. think people have really discussed. Uh didn't know if you guys were aware of or not, but you have the following. <clears throat> Feuding brothers, um, crooked politicians, crooked lawyers, um, betrayal, 
killers who reconsider and choose different plans. I mean, it's just got all this stuff, like a lot of the same subject matter uh, that you get through the Pedro records fits right into what's going on in Saul. So I just want to say uh, I recommend the show and uh, this, this final season, which has been mind-blowing. Um, and if you're a Page of the Lion fan and you're you're thinking about a good TV show to watch, you're probably going to like the themes that you're seeing in Better Call Saul. All right. Um, nobody paid me <laughs> to, to say all this. I was just thinking <laughs> about it. All right. Hope you guys are doing well. Magpod for life. Thanks, Thanks Bobby G. Um, so I was, I'm a uh, Breaking Bad fan. Yes. Uh, Vince Gilligan, uh, outstanding writer. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob Odenkirk, uh, amazing, both comedic and dramatic actor. Uh, I've never watched an episode of Better Call Saul. I've only seen very little. I'm always pretty behind on prestige TV stuff. Uh, I've always meant to watch it, and I have heard the same thing about the show being great and a very worthy companion to Breaking Bad, and this last season has been great in particular. So at some point, I will get around to it. But even just for Breaking Bad, I could see Saul slash Jimmy as a as a bizarre character. He certainly... <laughs> is in keeping with yeah the sort of winners never quit vibe his story is is uh you know it, and the breaking bad story in general as you said earlier bobby is kind of uh adjacent to the flannery o'connor type stories of sort of moral people breaking down and doing immoral things in that relationship so you know i, I could i could see all those characters sort of being of a piece with the uh, pedro characters that all makes sense sure sure I should check it out at some point. Um, yes. I'm not sure what what streaming service it's on at the moment, but if any. Um, I think it's still on AMC, but yeah, I'm sure the previous seasons are on Netflix or somewhere. All right, got it. Hey, guys, it's Jason from L.A. again, just uh, telling you another story about this album, Achilles Heel. When this album came out, I was working at a church. I was the children's pastor there, and I knew the album was coming out, so I called different local record stores to find if they were carrying it, and I found one called Rhino Records. I was carrying it, so during my lunch break, I went, <clears throat> bought it, and then came back to the, my office and played it in my office, and uh was so excited to listen to it, and uh, I remember when the song Foregone Conclusion came on, the part where it says, to hear the voice of the spirit begging you to shut the fuck up, uh, my office was right across the hallway from the pastor's wife's uh, <laughs> office. Luckily, she didn't hear it, because I knew I probably would have gotten in big trouble. Uh, love that song. It's definitely my favorite song on the album. At the time, there was a guy at my church who was really into Ray Comfort. So when I heard the song, Gross. I had a uh, conclusion that Ray Comfort and Kurt Cameron went to a Pedro the Lion show and uh, did their witnessing there, which is probably the worst witnessing around. Uh, don't get me started on that, that ministry, but a uh, great song. You guys keep up the good work. So that's my Aquila's Heal story. <laughs> Magpot for life. Um, J- Jason, what I'm learning is you need to s- you needed to stop listening to Pedro while on the clock uh, working at church because <laughs> you almost got you almost, <laughs> you almost got in trouble by uh, letting some somebody listen to 
uh, Indian summer on on headphones on your CD player, and now you're listening to <laughs> to this. Um, but yeah, so uh, Ray Comfort, Kirk Cameron, that? he's like he's an Aust- I think he's an Aust- he's Australian. Uh, he's he's a huge joke, man. He is. Um, he he's like teamed up. He teamed up with Kirk Cameron some years ago, and it's he's just super evangelical and super super right wing, and uh, all all of the things that you can think of that are you know like sort of like a young Earth creationist, and you know you you would he'd be in good uh, uh, companion, good companion to someone like Ken Ham. Those kinds of mm. people here. In the Sounds States. like a cool dude. Yeah, he also has a has this video about the banana being an atheist nightmare. Oh right, I do remember this. And like, yeah, and cool guy. Yeah, it's how it's like contoured perfectly for the hand, and and it has the little handle. You know, it's like he's he's like trying to make this argument for for design, and it's like, well, first off, like that the cultivar of that particular banana, you know, was like uh specifically genetically created i don't it wasn't like like this this particular banana was not just like didn't come out of uh you know just god didn't like just start populating these kinds of of bananas um (laughs) thousands of years ago but um yeah it's (laughs) absolutely not (laughs) He uh, but he's like since like tried to be like oh you know I was I was just uh I was just sort of I was trying to make a joke or whatever and it's like no okay. dude. No, no dude you were you got bus tossed so hard and people like called you out on your shit but uh yeah he's awful and uh yeah I can't I can't imagine a worse idea than trying to witness at a picture of the lion show that's amazing. I need more information about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, please. If you have any more information about that, uh, about that, Jason, please. <laughs> <Is he dialing? laughs> He dialing a, like a rotary, a rotary phone? phone. That's what I thought. <laughs> Amazing. I uh, sorry, Cackler. I don't know if you, I don't know if you can call and leave voicemails on a rotary. Phone. Was he? Was he? Was he calling us from the rotary phone? I think he was calling from another dimension where perhaps rotary phones are more easily available. Um, <laughs> so still maybe work. A great, great fully work option there in the rotary phone. He's really been. Uh, stepping up his his contributions this season i'm Thank really you, cackler yeah, very grateful yeah you you can uh speaking of cackler you can pick up some cackler merch in john hey. in addition to what i'm wearing right Ooh. now yeah wearing that open up that pit magpod tank right now mm. because starting to get very warm here in the twin Was. cities yes you know we have um we in the, in the twin cities you go from winter to like a week of spring and right. then you're in in summer you know there's no there's no in between no today was in the 80s here uh as it was in michigan i think and i came back severely sunburned because i was just like not prepared at all to be like completely burned by the hot sun out on the beach so that was cool rude as hell yeah 
but I was, I was soaking up the sun this weekend, man. I was, it is what your boy has needed so desperately uh, after this weird week. Thank you everybody for your voicemails, but you know, there's, there's some things that we need to talk about. Um, Mm. We did discuss previously uh, on an episode that, you know, we wanted to take things in a more positive, positive spin this this season obviously the world had other plans (laughs) (laughs) absolutely you know we wanted we because we're talking about the winner's circle and wanting to talk about things that that were wins and then the world is like wait you guys want to be positive over here you want to talk about things you're grateful for and and then they're like (laughs) psych and they're like well andrew you're gonna get covid over here Then you're going to miss the Pedro show. <laughs> and then the Supreme Forest. Court's going to be full of a bunch of fucking assholes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we are opening up the Losers Lounge again mm. uh, for COVID-19 um, and the Supreme Court. So I... Two peas in a pod. Two peas in the pod. The The... Dynamic duo. I, yes, I got COVID. Uh, I tested positive for COVID uh, this just uh, just about a week ago. And, you know, what's what sucks is that like and what's most scary about it is that if I didn't go and, and do a spit test, there's no way I would have ever thought that I had it yeah. because I took three at home tests all of those those tests were negative and i took a test uh, a week ago at an at home test and then i went in and i did a spit test and that came back positive so uh but the thing is like i remained largely asymptomatic throughout the week so none of the stuff mm. that people have talked about with this particular strain i don't know what strain it was i don't know if it's ba2 i don't know what it was but um i didn't have i didn't have headaches i didn't have any like bad cough i didn't have like any of those like any bad cold symptoms or anything like that yeah it if i didn't go in and get that spit test i probably wouldn't have even given another thought after i'm like well i took three tests right they're all negative so i don't know (laughs) and so that's the thing like as people continue to stop wearing masks as people Mm -hmm. continue to get tested less and less because they, right. you know, things are opening back up and f- feeling a little bit more free to, for, to do stuff. And then of course, like as uh, Bazan was mentioning, like, yeah, there's a reason you haven't had colds in, in two years. It's because right. you're wearing masks and right. you know, you're uh, limiting how, how you interact with people in, in these ways. And, so I don't know exactly it. You, I have my uh, ideas of how, how this, uh, how I was, uh, how I came by it, but um, it, it's, I'm very fortunate that it's, it's not uh, severe and it's almost like, you know, having my three vaccines um, helped quite a bit because I didn't have to go to the hospital. I didn't right. get super sick. Totally. And um, I've, I count myself um, pretty lucky, all things considered. 
even yeah. though I did have to miss a show out of it. Yeah. I mean, same for me. I got it as a March. I got it in March as uh, listeners may remember. I can't remember the timing. I think that's right. Um, but uh, yes, I remember feeling like, oh, I'm bummed that this happened, but it was probably inevitable. And oh, we all have like what feels like colds basically for the first time in a long time. But like, hey, how much better <laughs> that that's the outcome than us landing in the hospital? So, right. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, are we going to get it again? What are the long term effects? Nobody really knows. You were, you were, uh, very diligent and safe for a long time as were we and it just seems to you know i read a stat that was like majority of americans now have had it i think it's like 60 40 or something and that's probably just gonna keep going up um but hopefully that you know deaths go down and hospital visits go down and you know we'll see what happens it's still a little terrifying but yeah and hopefully um as people continue to get different variants hopefully our bodies continue to adapt and maybe there is some sort of immunity at some point obviously viruses continue to mutate and try and find ways to infect people and find ways to find new hosts and everything because that's obviously how viruses work Mm -hmm. but um i don't know maybe as the science continues to get better around it and more research and maybe there'll be maybe it'll be like the flu shot every year people will continue to get boosters every year and um maybe the the symptoms will be um continue to be less severe and uh we can only hope but yeah i'm sure there will be still lots to learn uh in the coming years and uh, obviously long-term effects of people who who did get super sick and Mm -hmm. you know but yeah i read something the other day that was like uh now definitive evidence that it affects our uh, brain's ability to <laughs> make decisions and function well, even if you weren't severely affected by it. And again, that was mainly for older people, but it's still like, oh, cool. We have like no idea really what this thing has done to us in the long term yet. Um, but we're doing the best we can. We've tried yep. to be as safe as we can. We're going to continue to do that. Um, I'm grateful that this show that uh, Pedro played had signs that say, please wear masks, because I've been in the definite minority in some indoor spaces lately wearing them and sort of freaked out about it. I've got three shows coming up in the next week and I'm like, uh, hope there's some good mask in there. Um, yep. So anyway, still terrifying. Um, but I'm yeah. glad that you're feeling better. I'm glad you weren't sicker. Yep. And yeah, hopefully I don't get the, uh, the dreaded COVID dick. You familiar with COVID dick? I don't think so. Is it like whiskey dick? It's no, there's like something about how um, there's like a large, like a percentage of men that like have experienced like effects of like uh, persistent erectile dysfunction. Yeah, maybe I do remember hearing this. And like there's like, like maybe affects like the blood vessels and, and other things in the body. So like, it's like, oh, cool. Hey, well, maybe if you can't like convince people to wear masks because they like they, you know, they just like, I don't care about other people. It's like, do you care about your own penis? I don't know. Maybe that's like the <laughs> one thing that you can care about. Like, right. will you will you wear a mask for your own penis? Oh, like, I'll have you know, my penis was definitely having problems with erections before this whole COVID <laughs> thing happened. So got so you there, buddy. Jokes on you. Yeah. My dick hasn't worked in years. <laughs> 
Oh boy, yes. May we not <laughs> now who looks like an idiot? <laughs> you be the guy who's talking about his dick to a stranger. Anyway, um, um you know who else looks like an idiot? Uh is it Justice Alito? <laughs> yeah, him and <laughs> you know him, Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett. Take your pick. Um, <laughs> just played for four to five of them. <laughs> um, yeah. As yeah. we were joking, joking before we started the pod, this this sound effect is has become the new national anthem for the United States. <laughs> yes. Everyone stands and everybody stands their hand on their heart and their head the, droops the, down. <laughs> oh, say can. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's where we're at. Obviously, yeah. anybody who's listening to this at this point knows um, about the. The dreaded leak, the leak, Andrew. Oh, my dear heavens. Uh, the leak of the uh, possible Supreme Court upcoming ruling uh, overturning Roe v. Wade, which many of us saw coming and mm-hmm. talked about likely happening for years. And mm-hmm. that was met with a range of uh, responses, many of which were, oh, don't be silly. Like they all said under oath that they're not going to do that. So they're not going to do that. Um, but they seem like they may do it. You know, there's all kinds of thoughts about who may have leaked it and why and what the motivation is and all that. Um, I don't know, regardless of all that, whether, you know, again, it's not a final, um, decision and things could change and maybe they leaked it to see what the response would be. And maybe it was a whistleblower trying to stop something before it happened. But, um, regardless, abortion is legal right now. And I want us to remember that this is a right that we have and, and not a foregone conclusion to use a Pedro term mm-hmm. that this has to happen. And even if it does, how can we start to prepare for it? And we were kind of saying, you know, off pod before we started, like, you know, okay. Two cis white dudes, uh, not necessarily like here for all your breaking abortion rights news, but we can, bring it up and we can use our platform in our own way and just you know i think i would just return to the idea that like we keep coming to this idea of like okay the democrats have had you know the house the senate and the white house for a couple of years now not done a lot and that's usually blamed on whatever joe manchin christian cinema fine but like this whole idea that like but but getting rid of the filibuster and doing anything to advocate for that is so extreme no, that's not extreme. Overturning Roe is extreme. Right. Losing all these civic rights that we, civil rights that we fought for, you know, not we, people who really actually paid a price, um, fought for 70 years ago. And a lot of them are getting lost now. The idea that like we might be facing a generation of women and other minorities whose grandparents had like, more rights than them if, if things like this continue to happen right. and, and what who knows what happens if this actually does happen gets overturned what other things they'll use this is grounds for so do everything you can to end the filibuster to do everything you can with your power right now codify this into yes like just law and like make this make this so it can't be overturned right. by the whim of some uh whoever is on the supreme court you know expand the court right you know do it all do it now yes 
you know, and people who are like, you need to get out and vote. It's like, you know what? We did that. And right. you are in power right now. So right. fucking do something. You well, unbelievable yeah. spineless cowards. The problem I'm so is like, I'm so tired of Democrats being like, you know, you know, what's do you know what would be uh, do you know what would be radical and, and extreme, John, is having somebody convicted of homicide for having a miscarriage. Right. Right. Or totally. outlawing condoms and contraception. Right. Or in vitro being banned because, you know, it, it's it violates, yep. you know, their their weird idea of when life begins, you know, from the moment of fertilization, just like right. get fucked. That is not, yep. you know, these people are not not doctors and they're writing these laws and like yep. they're like, oh, but they have a they have six weeks. It's like they don't know they're most, right. Women don't don't know. know that they're pregnant right. at six weeks. Are you fucking kidding me? You have to yep. jump through hoops. And it's like, yeah, fortunately, in states like Minnesota and mm. Illinois, you know, a lot of people will be fine. Right. But in a half lot, the states in the country, there are a lot of states where they're uh, and you and, and, and you think that's uh, that wouldn't be tried to be challenged, you know, in some of these right. states where it's it's currently fine. You know, of course, they're going to they just you give them an inch and they're going to go. They're going to ask for a mile. And this is what's going to happen. They're not going to stop. They've right. been trying. They've been doing this for decades and they're yep. finally getting what they want. And yep. and it's they're It's they're only going to try and make this more and more of a theocracy. And it's fucking terrifying. Right. It is. It's it's break the glass time, people. It's uh, the worst things you think could have happened a few years ago are, are happening and and will probably continue to happen so i would say you know this idea that perhaps they can't get to 50 votes or even to 60 votes to end the filibuster perhaps joe mansion or kristen cinema or whoever will always stop them but like try and talk a lot about it and biden white house use everything at your disposal to talk about this all the time um they're not doing that and we're getting just closer and closer to minority rule in this country where a majority of this court was nominated by presidents who lost his elections, lost the popular vote. Donald Trump appointed a third of this court. And so, yeah, where do we get to a point where it's like the majority of Americans support Roe and don't want it overturned? And yeah, two thirds. Right. Try we're and in find, a place. Try and find no. two thirds of anything that Americans agree on. Right. But they try and make this sound like it's such a fringe issue. It's like, no, a yeah. healthy majority of Americans agree that Roe should not be overturned. But and, with a electoral college and with a voting rights uh, status in a lot of states that has been um, chipped away at, like that's getting... Um, less and less the case that a majority of people in this country will actually get their views reflected in the people who run the country. So yeah. And anyway, we, and we shouldn't, we should also remind people that Obama had eight years. Right. And, you know, and that was, I just want Democrats to stop towing the line of being like, yes, I'm, I'm for a women, a woman's right to choose and like stopping at that. Right. You know, like there need you need to actually fucking do something because 
the conservatives will never, never, never stop. And until it's all, it's all illegal and you're locking up anybody for doing anything for having sex while you're not married, you know, like I say that people might think that's like much of a joke. Mm. No, but they, they, they would love on the that. table. Yeah. They would love that to have people to like, yeah, they want, they don't want you to, to have, make them wear a mask, but they want to, you know, uh, outlaw condoms and, uh, and make them illegal for married people, you right. know, or, yep. or make them only legal for married people or something like that. Uh, that it's just like, are yep. you fucking kidding me? This is it's these sorts of things that seemed so outlandish are like trying to be proposed. And yep. you got people crazy enough in, in, in positions of power in states like Florida and Texas and, you know, and Mississippi and all these places that like, yeah, let's let's see what we got. You know, why not? Why not just throw out the craziest shit and see what happens? Right. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of those states like we just said are um the folks who might be able to vote uh, those folks out are being suppressed at every level and are also represented uh, by minority rule in a lot of ways so bad stuff um in the meantime you know like i said try, I, i'm just going to try to continue to support the organizations that i know are, are doing good work and and that have resources available and you know everybody knows about NARAL uh pro-choice but ProChoiceAmerica.org, uh, the Center for Reproductive Rights, ReproductiveRights.org. Uh, those are two among many organizations, and I know you have some. Yep, you can go to, to INeedAnA.com, uh, where you can find out more information uh, if you're in need of abortion uh, care or services. Um, you can go to INeedAnA.com to find out uh, more and what can be what uh, information can be helpful for you. Um, and the reality is to John is most of us know somebody who has had an abortion yep. and I saw a, a tweet recently, I think kind of sums up a lot of this, Dr. Emily Porter, MD mm -hmm. on Twitter. She says, if you don't know a handful of women who, who've had an abortion, you're not morally righteous or statistically anomalous. You're just not the kind of person women trust with their secrets. Hmm. So if you don't know somebody, consider this. You do, and they're just right. not talking to you about it, and they don't feel safe talking to you about it. Yeah. I mean, if one in four women in this country have had one, um, yep, odds are almost certain that you... Yep. know someone who has so yep and also you you have people recently like phoebe bridgers uh mm -hmm. announcing yeah. that uh she had an abor abortion last year when she was on tour mm -hmm. and she went to planned parenthood got the pill and that's the sort of thing that needs to happen more yeah we need to it needs to be destigmatized it needs to stop being being thought of as some sort of necessary evil and be thought of as just another healthcare service because yeah. think about how fucking weird it is that we vote on or we have people pulled on health services like what right. if 
what if we were polling people on like uh you know whether or not someone could have their appendix out it's like right right the the lord made your body perfect right. why would you want to remove like i'm i am anti i'm anti appendix removal right um i'm pro i'm a i'm a pro like appendicitis is just your body saying that you need you need to get right with the lord or right. whatever you know just yeah. like think about how yeah. fucking weird that is yeah that somebody yeah. would try and and so you need we need to stop being talking about it being pro-choice and pro-life we need to talk about it being uh pro-abortion we need to stop start talking about how abortion is health care and yeah. you know uh you know those signs that talk that you see in windows that's like in this house we believe that black lives matter that love mm -hmm. is love and whatever they need to start adding abortion is health care on those signs mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. that's one of those things that just seems to be left out very right. often in in the conversation about uh you know rights and yeah. and this is one of those things that like it's not just about people wanting to go out and like you know uh they're like oh this is an unwanted pregnancy i want to i want to get an abortion which is also a perfectly legitimate reason to have an abortion but sure the ways that uh hospitals um like if you if you have an ectopic pregnancy mm -hmm. and that is that is removed that is you know an abortion you have you know they might classify some miscarriages or stillbirths as mm -hmm. as abortions you know and so like what happens when your body does something that's an unintended consequence or uh, the, the, your body does something that's like natural to your how your body does things and that's the unintended con unintended consequences of that or that you're criminalizing women's bodies for just existing right and right. so we we need to have a lot of larger conversations uh and i think people just need to fucking educate themselves a bit more about what this means and yeah. and what the shit show this could mean uh in in the coming years because it's pretty scary yep we hope that next week we can do a winner's circle <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see what the universe throws at us um yeah, but for now all the all the losing horns yeah um yeah i uh again, i feel like we I, need to play some plinko to like you know <laughs> make things feel a little bit better because yeah man how you know even though plinko required no sort of uh skill at all <laughs> i loved watching plinko that was like it was it's satisfying that was, it, was, it was it was so it was it was the most thrilling one i think because it was like it was chaos and thing was like flying all over the place and you're just like mm -hmm. never know where it's gonna end up um it's true hey speaking of game shows yeah uh mutual college friend uh betsy hobbs showed yes. up on jeopardy last week <laughs> right <laughs> how about that that was cool so, we've invoked her cat jorbles before on the we pod, have and yeah. she ended up using <laughs> jorbles in her wager which didn't work out but um it was still hey good for her um that's apropos of nothing uh anyway <laughs> yes um may covid and the supreme court uh get their respective acts together uh may we all uh understand abortion as health care and COVID is something to uh, continue to wear masks about and having said all that it's time for more 
sadness with the uh, more Pedro tunes. <laughs> yes. Should we uh, take a break and get into Phoenix? Yes. When we come back, we'll talk about the comeback kid. Mm. Uh, Dave, Dave Bazan come back with the reunited Pedro with the 2019 record Phoenix. Hey, sugar. I'm Erica Michelle. I host a voice diary called Brown Sugar Diaries on the Rock Candy Network, where I spill all the tea about my dating experiences, life lessons, my journey to healing and wholeness, my life as an entrepreneur, student doctor, CEO of a nonprofit, and I give my opinion on the current happenings of the world. You see why I have this voice diary? I got a lot of stuff to talk about. Tune into Brown Sugar Diaries wherever you listen to podcasts and let's sip on this tea or wine. You'll cup your business, sugar, okay? Hey John. Hey. You're a you're a fan of punk, right? I think so. I think so too. <laughs> so have you heard of Small Step Records? Hmm. You know, the name is familiar, but but tell me more. Well, Small Step Records is a faith-based DIY record label with mm-hmm. bands that are melodic punk, pop punk, easy core, emo, and ska. And they have some new albums and new bands releasing records right now on all streaming services and you should check them out bands like home plate which has like an easy core vibe so if you're fans of newfound glory or four years strong you, sh- you should check them out you got grandpa loves rhinos mm-hmm. which is definitely got like a pop punk vibe going on Andrew, not only that, Ooh. they are Magpot's first official sponsor. Oh, really? Starburst got nothing on these guys. All mm. right. These guys are the real deal. <laughs> uh, the tagline is love God, love others, listen to pop punk. You can go to smallstepbecords.com, check out the cool records and merch and bands they have. And we will be, through their generosity, offering some giveaways in the coming uh, weeks and months uh, on our socials of some of these small step bands records so keep your eyes peeled for that also john unlike some record labels which may have come up over the course of the podcast the artists on small step always keep 100 percent of the rights and ownership of their music yes so any money that goes to small step goes directly back into supporting the bands that is huge deal Mm. when it comes to supporting artists because oftentimes band puts out a record they don't own their music but this is yep. this is a, a, a label with integrity so you yep. love to see it love to see it small step check them out smallsteprecords.com We're back mm. talking Pedro the Lion, talking Phoenix. That's right. Talking very much like the Phoenix rising mm. again. Yes. From the ashes Out of, of a the band. ashes. Yes. <laughs> to uh to a new Pedro 2.0. Yes. Um yeah. Phoenix was released January 18th, 2019 on Polyvinyl Record Company. New label for him. Uh, they are headquartered in Champaign, Illinois, like Undertow, his management company. And 
got some impressive label mates there. Jeff Rosenstock, American mm. Football, mm. Laura Jane Grace uh, of Montreal, always Oceanator, as you said, uh, others. So a, a very respectable uh, record company. Um, Bazan here on vocals, bass, guitar, additional electric guitar and synths. And Eric Walters, as we mentioned, on primary electric guitar. Uh, he's from the band Silver Torches, who I'm not familiar with, but I've seen their name in the sort of Seattle indie world. Um, and then Sean Lane on drums on this record, uh, and he also plays in Silver Torches. Uh, it was recorded at Studio X and the Hall of Justice, both in Seattle. It was produced, recorded, and mixed by Andy Park, uh, who has also worked with Silver Torches and Dennis and Whitmer. Uh, it was mixed by Bazan at The Crumb, and it was engineered by Sam Rossen and mastered by Bernie Grunman, who... That dude is fascinating. He has almost 5,000 mastering credits and has oh been gosh. mastering albums since the 60s uh, and is now apparently mastering those tasty Pedro tracks too. So <laughs> good job, Bernie. Um, I think it sounds great. I think this record, as I have mentioned several times, um, benefits from time spent with it. Yeah. Um, I would say it took a while to grow on me. Um, I'll be really interested when we get to our album rankings because like, I was taking it as a given for a while that this would just be last. Um, Interesting. And as I'm spending more time with it, I'm like, uh, I don't know. Maybe I like it a lot. I don't know. It's weird. It's like, it's not like some other acts we've covered where, you know, my sort of nostalgia for the early stuff must beat out newer stuff because I sort of have right. tracked him the entire time and I like all of it. And so, but I did kind of feel like, I really liked the sort of synthier direction he'd been going with his solo stuff as David Bazan. And I was a little bit like, oh, like taken aback when Pedro was reforming and that the first Pedro record was like very electric guitar driven again. I was just like, oh, this isn't really like the sound I was expecting. But the more that he sort of described why the band came back together, why this was the sound he went with and sort of how he approached this record from a, songwriting and craft point the more that it like all makes sense to me so it's really mm -hmm. grown in my estimation now i feel like that list of rankings is all kind of mixed up again but um i think it's really interesting stuff i think there there maybe seems it maybe seems more simple on the service on the surface than it actually is in a lot of right. ways like i think there are a lot of songs at first it was like now they're just kind of playing some guitar notes and sort of aimless and what's really going on here and then the more time i spent with it i was like oh actually there's like a lot of really interesting things happening here, like musically and lyrically that I didn't really pick up on the first couple of times around. So I don't know. I, he maybe sounds like his best ever here vocally. I feel like he does a lot of interesting things with a wide range, um, spends a lot of time in a sort of upper register and his voice is sort of like worn now in a way that sort of allows this warmth, um, sort of a rough warmth or something to it that I really like. Um, Got a little bit more gravitas to it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think that's great. And it, I mean, it's been very, it's as far as I know, like the highest he's ever charted. Um, this was number one on Billboard's Heat Seekers chart, uh, number 10 on the US Independent chart. Um, very well reviewed, even by Pitchfork, our old friends, <laughs> who gave it a 7.6, which is basically like a 10 and a half for them. Um, so yeah, I think everybody seemed to receive this record um, really positively. And yeah, as we referenced, it's like 
the idea is that, is that this is the first of a five album cycle he's doing about his early life and the places he lived. So Phoenix, next Havasu, then he said the next record is Santa Cruz and he's kind of not giving away what comes next. But eventually I think the idea is he would end with Seattle where he spent the last you know 20 years or so or more. Um, but Phoenix is where he grew up until he moved to Lake Havasu City in Arizona um, in junior high. And so I think as we referenced in the first half, a lot of this, a lot of this idea of this whole album cycle and this album in particular is like making peace with his earlier self, you know, yeah. parenting that little kid that he talks about in these songs, getting to know himself now and getting to know the kid he was and maybe could have been. Um, I like that piece of it. I also like that there are a lot of references to earlier Pedro and Bazan yes. songs, which yes. is cool. There's lots of double meanings. I mean, like you said, the most obvious one being Phoenix in terms of both the place he grew up and also like very much Pedro sort of rising from the ashes again. And even like himself sort of um, rising in terms of um, it taking this long to sort of reconnect with who he was then and sort of making peace with that and moving on to the next next phase of life. So I think it's a really rich uh, text and... I did my best to sort of wrestle with this stuff, but this is the first record that I haven't had like 15 to 20 years of like thinking right, about. Right. And so I feel like there's still a lot here that I'm like, I don't know that I totally nailed this. So I certainly welcome your thoughts and others weighing in on things that I may be missing, but throughout I'll kind of be just like reading the lyrics and be like, what do you think about that? <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I'm, I'm in a similar spot, obviously like some of this later stuff, uh, especially Phoenix and Havasu are, I would say, the two albums I'm least from. Obviously, Havasu just right. came out, so yeah. But this one being the only song I think I had previously heard before we started uh, this season was Yellow Bike, and uh, mm-hmm. so there's there's this was my first honest dive into this record and yeah um so so yeah i i very much welcome um like you're saying what other people interpret things as and their experiences and what they understand some of the songs to mean and Mm -hmm. um but it's also this album also has a first for our dude and this Mm -hmm. is the first time so far this this season that's we're talking about our uh first music video oh yeah you know that's true there's a couple videos for this and like i saw someone claim that and there was a video for um trouble with boys the dave bazan solo song but i guess this is the first 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 pedro pedro video which is surprising yeah yeah a couple really cool videos that i'm excited to talk about Yeah, yeah 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 me too um it won't take too long to uh to get into that um Is there anything else you want to talk about before we get into it? I don't think so. I'll just, I, I picked up Havasu variant on uh, ultra clear, transparent vinyl. Ooh. Uh, very pumped about the arrival of that record. Um, yeah, Brian picked up Phoenix for me at nice. the show. I obviously, since having COVID, have not been able to get it from him yet. Yeah, yeah. But I'm excited, excited for that because my Pedro vinyl collection is steadily growing. Yeah, man, I'm pumped. I I I need to get Phoenix on vinyl now too, but um, I was pumped about that uh, that Havasu find. So anyway, yeah. that's all I have to say. All right. Well, 
we open with sunrise. Speaking of vinyl. Mm. I love it so much. <laughs> okay. Tell tell me more. I just think it's so cool. I mean, you know, I love those bleeps and bloops, but like, right. yeah, that nice vinyl crackle that just kind of starts things off. And then the synthy sound. I mean, he's obviously done plenty with synths, but this is a particular synth sound that maybe we haven't heard. It almost reminds me of Vangelis, who did like the Blade Runner score and like Chariots of Fire, you know. That very, I was gonna like, say this has the the synth sound is, sounds very retro. Yes, it's very much like eighties. Yeah, score to me, but I love that sound. I think it's really cool, and it makes sense that it does sound sort of early eighties because that would have been right around the time that these songs are happening um, in a lot of ways. So, you know, mid eighties around that time. Um, I just love it. I don't know. I think it's really cool. I feel like it sets a really cool tone for the record. It's not what I was expecting when I threw this record on for the first time, uh, especially given that I had heard like Yellow Bike, which is very guitar. This album is very right. electric guitar driven. Yeah. So this like weird, I was like, oh, where are we going? It almost like sets a, a tone for like a story that's going to be told. I don't know. I'm into it. I'm I'm of two minds about it. I mm-hmm. I like the sound. I don't understand a separate track for it. Sure. Because in my in my mind, it sort of begs to be skipped because sure. it is barely a minute. minute long. Yeah. I don't understand like because it sort of like fades perfectly into yellow bike. Yeah. I, I don't know why. Why not just make that like make it part of the song? I don't know. Now we're getting sort of into sequencing and, and sure. the song structure and stuff like that. I, I found myself like skipping it sometimes as I was listening to it because I'm like, you know, I, I like it, but it, I don't like it enough to listen to the full thing when I'm like, I know this is just sort of leading into Yellow Bike and it doesn't like. Sounds like you need to let yourself into this warm bath of synths, my friend, and just let it wash over you. And let's begin the story. Let's put this record on from the beginning and hear those crackles. Uh, no, I know what you mean. Maybe there's like some folks who are, oh yeah, oh, uh, skip this, fuck this. Um, <laughs> I don't maybe... dislike it. I'm just saying no, it's, it's just a. <laughs> I don't understand the separate track. Maybe there's people who are like, "Where's that hard rock and yellow bike song I heard? Oh, what's the synthy nonsense? I don't want to hear this." And they were like, "We got to make these distinct." I don't know. Um, I do think it's kind of cool though because there's another song about halfway through that returns to this sort of synthy sound and i like the right. idea that it's sort of opening and then like halfway through like again it's sort of a story and there are acts to it right. um we're spending a lot of time talking about a one minute uh synth <laughs> <laughs> song <laughs> so let's get into that aforementioned yellow bike. all right yellow here's check to yellow bike yeah One month shy of six years old 
He does a little woo in there. My number two. It's my number two as well. Hell yeah. I think this song is it's a bittersweet song. Mm -hmm. And it's more than just talking about a kid's bike. You know, there's yes. uh obviously some comparisons as it, the song goes on to his lonely childhood and riding his bike by himself and sort of feeling this freedom and then like the freedom of touring but also the isolation and being alone yeah. and so i think and and the music video kind of paints that very clear depiction mm -hmm. of a young him and a in a, a present day him and i can't remember is he is he still married at this point um when this came out yes i think so okay yeah so i think yeah there's maybe not so much a maybe thinking about the time of being on the road and isolated and wanting you know you know my kingdom for someone to ride with yeah um whether that's a band or right having a partner riding yep. with you you know yeah, I think it's I think it's really beautiful. I think it's yeah. almost every song works as a sort of metaphor in that way where it's like something about his childhood or something that a child can face and then like okay, but what does that sort of mean for me today and why am I deciding to sort of connect with that part of myself in this time now. And again, I feel like back to the idea of like there's more than what it appears to be on the surface cuz the first time I heard it I was kind of like why is he doing songs now about like when he was a kid and like, why is he back with Pedro and like, so he's riding around on a bike. Like it was just kind of confused. And then obviously the more time I sat with it, the more I was like, Oh, it's like a perfect connection. As you said to um, him riding around on a bike as a kid, sort of longing for someone to accompany him on that journey and then connecting that to, driving around by himself playing these house shows alone sort of longing for connection whether that's as you said with others or with um folks touring with him so i think yeah. it works really well um that first feeling of sort of freedom and independence that you get when mm. you're sort of of the age to ride your bike around town wherever you wanted like that's such a specific time <laughs> yeah man and it's so evocative of that era and like he, I, throughout the album, I think he really captures the sweetness of that freedom as he's off, you know, he calls being at home, like a tomb sometimes. And so mm -hmm. the idea of getting the freedom, just be like, Oh, I can just ride wherever I can ride to the circle K and spend my change on soda or whatever. Mm -hmm. But also like, yeah, he keeps returning to the loneliness that he feels even with that freedom. And yeah, he, he ref re returns to that refrain of my kingdom for someone to ride with. But yeah, verse three is really when he connects that to touring as an adult, because he says um, he calls himself in love with every stretch of the road. But when I drive them on my own, they remind me what it was like astride that yellow bike, my kingdom for someone to ride with, like making that decision to get the band going again as Pedro, I think is sort of how I took that. Like he's, hey, I'm going to trade in this freedom I have as a solo artist, my kingdom to be like, I want to do this with the, a band again. And I remember this tweet from the time and I looked this up where when they announced they were reforming, he said, why Pedro? I want to be in a band all the time. Tired of playing touring alone. Not what I signed up for. And then in all caps, I want to be in a band all the time. <laughs> and like, that makes a lot of sense uh, for a lot of reasons, I think. Um, and sort of explaining it in that way, I think is, is really powerful. Um, musically, 
there's lots of cool guitar stuff going on in this song. Um, yeah. There's a nice, warm, crunchy sound to the guitar. Uh, as we said, a very sort of electric guitar driven song on a mostly electric guitar driven record. It's kind of sets the tone a little bit for this new kind of era of, of Dave. Um, and that repeated riff, the da 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 really great. I love it. It's almost like it's kind of Springsteen adjacent mm. <laughs> energy on this song, even his little woo. I feel it's like kind of <laughs> like he goes to the sort of like hard rock place like like sort of classic rockish yeah. place a few times on this record in a way that i wasn't like expecting but the more that i spent time with it the more i appreciated it i want to see um, i want to see dave uh rocking some denim and like a <laughs> and and headband and like yeah his shirt unbuttoned a little bit <laughs> well back on my yellow bike um a little america handkerchief in the back pocket oh i remember um, what it was like <laughs> Bruce doing a cover, this would be that sounds pretty cool, actually. Um, yeah, I think saxophone the, all over this bitch. <laughs> that actually sounds great. Um, yeah, what if that central riff was a sax? Hell yeah, um, <laughs> get him on the pod, Bruce. When did the, you first hear Pedro? <laughs> I think he'd vibe with it. He Hell definitely has some grief songs. Oh, um, god. Uh, the, the harmonies in the chorus, I think, are really cool. And again, there's just this warmth to it that I really uh, appreciate. Um, there's this cool little moment in the bridge where he says, you can make it swing. And then the drums go into a little swing beat. I love yep. just like the playfulness of the band in this. And he talked about, you know, that part of perhaps why the band sort of disintegrated the first time around is that it was basically like a solo act with a band that would execute the parts that he wanted. He was like, I get why, like maybe people didn't feel like they had a buy-in in that. And I think he was really intentional with these couple records to let these guys in the band really shape the music with him, even though he's still playing a lot of the parts and, and writing all the songs. I think there's a, a seeming sort of uh, looseness to it that I think is reflected in these records and that's new territory for him. Um, yep. Yeah. I was going to mention, you, you talked about the video a little bit. Uh, it stars his son Nils, which is really cool because it's like about the same age that Dave was when he's talking about uh, being a kid in the song. And it's Nils riding around the neighborhood of Dave's youth on a yellow bike. And he sees Dave in a con convenience store and they sort of cross paths a few times. Uh, Dave is singing around town in the places where Nils is riding. And then he's like in his bedroom. Yeah. They're both wearing red hoodies at a certain point. Yeah. Um, yeah, and as I said, his daughter started the video for uh, the Bazan song, Trouble with Boys. And I think both of them are really moving. I don't know. It's really cool to see, even if you don't know they're his kids, that, that obviously adds an extra layer to it. But it's sort of like these these children, these Bazan children <laughs> representing this point in his life and him connecting with that as an adult. And yeah, I don't know. We should say that it was directed by Jason Lester. And I think he did a really nice job. I think it's really cool. Yeah. Um. I wanted to say one thing before we move on, but the, you know, we were talking about sort of how self-referential this record mm -hmm. is. And yeah. you mentioned the, well, you can take that sting, you can make it swing, mm -hmm. which keeps swinging. Could, could be a keep swinging reference. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're maybe you're in a, you know, you got that sting you're in a bad spot very much like right. the character keeps swinging and mm -hmm. yeah you know, i thought about that as well yeah so could be i don't know if that's a reach or not but yeah it also shows him shows the kid literally on a swing in that part which is yes it's true another cool swinging element yeah i don't know I, I really like the song a lot yeah uh clean up 
This song is great. It's not in my top three, but I I think there's a lot to unpack in this song. Mm -hmm. And he's doing such, you mentioned this at the top, he's doing such interesting vocal stuff on this record. And I think he's doing some, specifically he's doing some interesting vocal stuff because he's also pushing himself. Mm -hmm. He's getting to those higher levels of, of his register mm-hmm. and i'm i'm here for it i tried eternity and- yeah i love when he goes up that octave there yeah um yeah i think his vocal performance across the song is great i agree with you i i wondered if you would be really into the song and have it in your top three be like why isn't it in your top three no uh, it's i not really mine, but i really like it too i really like it and yeah. i love the weight the weight of the world is bearing down on me like biblical weather great <laughs> yeah, great really great line but there's Lots just like evocative this- phrases in this yes there's this playful way that he says it feels like my destiny to always be a chronic forgetter. There's a, a mm-hmm. playful way that he he sings that line that I mm-hmm. I really yeah. like. And yeah. I don't know, there there's small things that he's the the details of that sort of stuff. It's not like there's nothing about this album or these songs that feel phoned in. And I think right, be, right. I think for people who listen to it and hear how clean the record is they might they might confuse that with right. uh you know i think it's there's something about his songwriting style on this that uh is obviously different but a little bit more rock and a little bit mm-hmm. more uh some more power chords in yeah. there and the drums are still cool we're going back mm-hmm. to a little bit more yep more interesting drums than maybe we were getting um on Achilles heel and I'm I'm here for that too so yeah uh, yeah I don't I don't I I think a chorus that is easily singable doesn't necessarily mean it's like uh there's not any depth or weight to what right. he's trying to convey especially with the uh with what he gets into and in, in next verse yes i want to talk about verse two um but yeah i agree and i think it was like you're saying for me who had been used to sort of this he had been working in the realm of irony for a long time and he's working with these sort of darkier synthier sounding stuff and to go from that to like seemingly like earnest like too earnest maybe and straightforward and guitar rock i was just like what i don't really get it like he's on a yellow bike now he's saying clean up over and over it just seemed a little too like i don't know I, it wasn't the sort of dave i was used to and but the more that i spent time with it i was like he's actually being like the most vulnerable he's ever been here in a lot yeah. of ways where it's like sure clean up as a repeated phrase might sound like Oh, there's not as much depth to this right. as other stuff on the surface, right. but you think about it, it's like it's actually very profound as most of these songs are. Um, and the and what he's doing with the sort of rock sound, I think, supports um, the sort of thematic train of a lot of this stuff. So, yeah, I agree. The drums sound great. I think um, that's kind of one of the first things you notice here is they're, they're doing some boom crashes in a way that he hasn't <laughs> done in a while. Um, and yeah, even the, the the verse has this similar melody to Cold Beer and Cigarettes, which is uh, on Bazan's first solo EP. I think it probably isn't unintentional. I think there's so many sort of echoes of things that I thought of that too. But yeah, verse two, 
He says, I tried eternity and a couple of other drugs. Such a romantic place to hide from taking my lumps. I still get overwhelmed and think about giving up till I remember the gospel of clean up your stuff. Um, what I take that to mean is sort of like do the work, you know, like mm -hmm. literally clean up in terms of sobriety maybe, but also just like facing reality, facing facts. Um, and it's not the first time that he sort of puts stuff that's counter to faith in faithy language where it's right. like he, the gospel of cleanup. He's sort of saying that is what works for me more than this, you know, gospel where there's like an eternity uh, involved. And I like the idea of, you know, and that comes in several times throughout the album too, but in this particular case of like his gospel is like clean up, clean up your stuff. I don't know. I, again, another thing that kind of seems simple on the surface, but the more that you think about it, it's, I think it's pretty powerful. So I like yeah. the verse a lot. Uh, me too. And equating uh, Christianity and faith to a drug right? Um, yeah. and a place to sort mm -hmm. of, he says, you know, such a romantic place to hide from taking my lumps. Right. It sounds like he's saying evade responsibility. You know, right. I can yeah. like, oh, I was a sinner. You know, I'm, I'm trying to what, you know, use that as an excuse to be like, nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. But it's like, you know what? I got to get my shit together and yeah. I can't use excuses or, you know, like my bad, use this as an excuse for my bad behavior. I need to own up to it and, and be better. Yeah, I totally agree. Or also it even could be like, um, you know, that cleanup is like, he, he, he's using that as a way to say, deal with what's actually going on and again this this sort of repeated idea for him where it's like whatever you believe we can all agree that we're like here together and so what does that mean in in our practiced life is it um it, it gives you the chance to finally maybe get to know yourself as he says throughout the record and that cleaning up can be facing yourself in a way that you've never really given allowed the space to sort of um deal with yourself and deal with who you really are i don't know mm -hmm. it's a cool idea yep i agree uh, especially when he ends the song for us, you know, the, mm -hmm, could it be, right. who's the us? It could be right. uh, his, him, his family, his band, the community yeah. of people who follow him and listen to him. And he's like, this is, I'm, I'm doing better for us. I'm getting this, the band back together because I, I want to be better. And I want to uh, reconnect with people and be around for, for, for you people i don't know it's it's yeah i like the idea that it's he's ending it with like making it larger than himself which yeah. is great as a society how do we sort of face facts and clean up what's facing us you know mm. yeah stop denying the reality of things mm -hmm. uh, yeah yep good stuff good stuff definitely uh, a lot of shit to clean up these days mm -hmm. uh, powerful taboo
is my number one. Okay, wow. It's it's not in my top three, but I love it. Yes. Uh, this, the building of that first verse into the chorus um, is outstanding just just yeah. musically i'm i'm so into this song especially the powerful transition into the yeah. chorus the allusions here to like the satanic panic mm-hmm. uh you know little clues half hidden you know but you can always smell which fruit you really want to bite into like the little clues half hidden makes me think of like oh there there are these messages being hidden mm-hmm. in in music and you know maybe like the sort of the candles and the wax, like maybe, um, you know, the sort of iconography of 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 secular music and mm-hmm. and the the allure of of secular music, and it's gonna tempt you into you know a sinful life or whatever. Right. Um, and so I I really appreciate that. Um, but then you know he says. I refuse to be that separate from the flesh of my own flesh and the blood of mm-hmm. my own blood. Yeah. And the, obviously this guy's uh, commitment to true art and music and, and feeling and conveying what he believes through music. It's not going to keep, let anybody keep him from doing that. Right. Um, but I love all the little textures, you know, um, you know, BTB over here, big texture boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of lots of little cool textures and noises going on. And then like you go from that to just like a palm muted mm-hmm. uh, um, chords and then back to the big rock sound. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like the the chorus where this thing like really comes together for me and those kind of big power chord uh you know that thick guitar sound yeah sort of comes in but yeah it it's like that second half of the chorus where it's that ascending melody of the yeah hold it in till your heart turns i'm just like ooh, i can't resist that it sounds <laughs> yeah. so good it's with so these cool big guitars behind it and it's then awesome. just that that drops out and gets quiet mm-hmm. yeah and then back into it yep oh no, it's a great sort of grungy sort of pixies nirvana loud quiet loud thing happening here a little bit um yeah i the uh you know the idea of like denying himself being told that he couldn't follow his own impulses of what interested him right is sort of what's being delved into here in the first part you know again he's like if you can find good vibrations they'll try to tell you that you're in danger of falling into temptation it's the devil's bargain that to save your soul from hell deny your senses be a stranger to yourself right he's again using this language of the devil's bargain to describe <laughs> this sort of evangelical strain of thinking of like you know deny your senses deny what you think you're feeling be a straight don't right. get to know yourself too well and this idea that like if you actually get to know who you are you know, he's worried that that could lead to damnation is such a, a sad thing for Yeah, if a you're kid. feeling good, then right. that's something yeah, that's bad. That's right. bad that you could yeah. you might be sinning. The next thing you know, if you're you're feeling good, and the next thing you know, you're you're listening to the the devil's music and you know you're yep. going to hell. Yeah. It's uh, for a kid developing their sense of who they are and their understanding, I can only yeah, imagine how long it must take to unwork that stuff and 
he's talked about how he was really interested in in secular music but he wasn't allowed to listen to any of that until like high school or something and he started getting like permission to listen to the Beatles and that stuff and yeah I don't know yeah. how much he must have wrestled with that but both of these albums both this and have were so much about how he thought it was wrong to listen to himself or his instincts and that you know if he actually were to dig deep and get to know his true self that that was bad and again using that devil's bargain language that comes up later in the album but like even the language of taboo you know using the language of taboo in christian culture to listen to secular music um but to say the, here that the taboo is actually the, like the you know he says letting them take their wits from you the taboo is not letting you listen to yourself and flipping that on its head a little bit i don't know yeah. i think that's really interesting and sad <laughs> but yeah it's super sad and i think the line that speaks to me the most here is hold it into your heart turns blue mm. because the phrase that we're most familiar with is like you know i held my breath until my face turned blue so mm. like he's like evoking yeah. this idea that you're like your heart is suffocating yeah you're yeah. You're, you're, mm. you're you're keeping your heart from being able to breathe and the thing right, that gives right. your heart breath in life is like right you're just like <laughs> you're choking it out and that is yeah, such yeah. a devastating yeah. visual you know for such a young kid to be like yeah just deny your the things you're passionate about deny just like you just hold it just hold it yeah. shove it down suffocate Ugh. it it's so sad and it's yeah. again real enneagram four energy <laughs> in that in that depiction of how things like my heart is suffocating but i know man this is this is sad <laughs> this is why i want to like meet the guy and just like hug him for like 45 minutes <laughs> the guy uh, in front of me at the side of opinion save he kind of did that so <laughs> maybe he would accept it from you this guy <laughs> hugged him no less than five times and dave accepted all of the hugs so yeah. he'd be there to hold you and talk about um your suffocating hearts if you wanted to <laughs> um oh man song. I'm going to I'm going to start a a Pedro band called the Suffocating Hearts. Suffocating Hearts Club. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> a debut record for um for me. Mm-hmm. Oh god. All right. Before I get too sad, let's uh let's move on to Model Homes.
this one is really interesting musically. Oh man, um, it's I think it's really interesting musically too. The 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 chorus is very different than the last number of choruses we just le- listened to. Yes, definitely. Uh, the Yellow by Clean Up, Powerful Taboo had these mm-hmm. had these big choruses, and this is sort of like jangly guitar uh-huh. and the, the the drums are a little bit more all over the place, and it's mm-hmm. not there's not a big repeated line that you can get behind and right yeah i think this was you know if if some of those other songs felt like a little too obvious to me on the surface or something and i hadn't really given them their due this style of song on the record just felt a little sort of like meandering to me and i couldn't really like plug into it immediately but it's such a good representation of the more time that i spent with it like I could really settle into the groove of it. Um, and it almost feels like math rocky. It's mm, sort of like yeah. rhythmically just off. And so it's like, you kind of have to stay with it to stay on the same page of it, but it does have a real groove to it. And like that really cool bass line. There's interesting guitar parts going on throughout. The drums are great, as you said. Um, but yeah, it's sort of this, I don't know, meandering is maybe not the best word, but like it's almost like it feels like improvisational at first. And then mm. you realize, oh, there is, there is like a, a a method to what they're doing. It just sort of like takes a minute to sort of be like, oh, I get what this is now. Um, but I yeah. think that makes sense for a lot of the sort of like exploring he's doing sort of thematically with a lot of these kinds of songs. Um, you know, in this case, he's sort of analyzing this thing he and his sister apparently like to do of making their family go look at model home open houses after church instead of going back home, which he says felt like a tomb again and doing quiet time in his room by himself. Like it just sounds like such a bummer. Um, and that, you know, that there probably, this is another thing of him looking back and being like, why did I want to go on those model home open houses all the time? And it's like, well, what was behind that was probably wanting to live somewhere else or hoping for more, right. but also just, you know, he names never not dreaming big. Like he has this, he always wanted to sort of do something. And again, that suffocating heart, you know, like wanting to sort of grow beyond that. And it's verse two that really hits me where he's like, (laughs) such a bummer. (laughs) I want to live with someone else, give them my whole self. I want to not be lonely. And he like shouts that. And I'm just like, Ooh, I feel it. I feel the, my kingdom for someone to ride with. I feel the, I want to not be lonely and just like shouting that. Um, Yeah those times in the album, he really taps into the loneliness that he felt yeah. as a kid, that those, those parts really resonate. Um, and it ends with, you know, when will the wait be over? Um, again, I think sort of representing that time is sort of like being stuck and wanting to sort of move on to the next thing in a lot of different ways. Um, and that being represented by these types of homes, but really he was talking about so much more than that. Um, so I don't know. I, I, yeah. I, I think it's a really interesting one. And the way he writes these songs, obviously he's talking about past events, mm-hmm. but there's something about the the stories that he's telling that makes makes everything feel so present and immediate, yeah. mm-hmm. and that it's that he's still feeling it and he's still mm-hmm. going through it, and right. he's he's evoking this time and this place and. I don't get the impression that it's like, oh, this is old stuff. This right. stuff does 
Yeah. It's 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 all I've moved on. I'm pretty sure that I want to not be lonely isn't limited to when he was a kid, you know, like that's still there are a lot of times that he's sort of expressing things present tense that I'm like, I'm guessing this is still yeah. a resonating idea for you. Yep. Piano bench. Oh yeah. Oh baby. I could easily just play this whole song because it's so beautiful and powerful. I love it. I know. Like at first I was like, should this be in my top three? I know. I I mean, it's a minute long, (laughs) (laughs) so probably not. And it is, I think sort of a, if not a palate cleanser, a sort of like, okay, we're maybe done with act one and sort of setting the scene here in the same way that he's pulling in those synths from the beginning track. Um, But I I just love it. I think it's those those great eighty synths come back, but with this warm guitar over it and that guitar sound, the reverb guitar is so great. Um, and the melody almost follows this like old hymn, sort of like organ melody, very hymn like. Um, yeah, which I love, which it makes sense because he's talking about, um, you know, his dad was a worship pastor and his mom sang in church, and as much as often that world when invoked uh, for these records and for other Bazan songs is sort of done in a way that points out issues with it. Here, it's really just kind of like this beautiful picture of his parents in worship together at church. And yeah, yeah, I'm just going to read all the lyrics because they're very short. At Sunday evening service, the faithful knelt in worship, mother singing, swaying, dad piano playing, his gentle nature soothed me, the ache in her voice moved me, sitting side by side on the piano bench. I just think it's so again evocative and and beautifully said and um yeah it just works there's no criticism there's no no, there's no sorrow there's Mm -hmm. no pain it's just it's just to me an observation yeah of an of an experience and i just yeah there's no judgment in it it's just it's just this is this is a scene and Mm -hmm. it's done beautifully and one of the songs where he paints the picture, says what needs to be said, and, and, and moves, moves on. on. Yeah, I appreciate that about him. Uh, there are other songs where I can remember him sort of being in like figuring it out mode for a while, hearing it live. And it would, he'd sort of play like a couple minutes and then move it into another song to play it all together because he's like, I didn't really know what to do next. But then a lot of the songs would just sort of, when they ended up on albums, there wouldn't really be that much more to them. Sometimes he's just like, eh. Two, two minutes, two and a half minutes is all you need, or in this case, one minute. It's like a good little, you know, one and a half minute. Um, yeah, yeah. Perfect little song. Um, yeah, he uh, his relationship to his dad is a really interesting one, um, both from the sort of like insights I've gained from 
his personal experience and from the ways that it's sort of shown up on records over the years. But he talked a little bit this about this in that Sound Opinions interview, um, which folks should watch for when I assume it comes out uh, in coming weeks where he'll probably say all this stuff. But he, I think his, his dad remains like a music pastor and plays piano really well and knows a lot of instruments. Um, and I think that was always an important point of connection for them. And even though the religious aspect has been a difficult thing for them sometimes um, to sort of deal with together, I think his dad's appreciation of his music has always remained and he's always been very much of part of it. And his dad plays piano on the closing song of Curse Your Branches, which I always thought was really powerful because it's a beautiful song. But the album is very much about like sort of leaving his faith behind and, you know, the sort of right. family environment he grew up in and stuff. And the fact that his dad was like, yeah, I'll come play piano on that song for you. I think just is really cool. And he said that he sent these records to his dad in part because it was so much about his childhood and to kind of get like a an okay from him. And his dad was like, these sound awesome. Like These are really good songs uh, structurally. And I think that's really cool that his dad like has that relationship with him. Um, and, you know, it doesn't sound like everything's perfect. There's still a lot of tension. They're very much active in their evangelical church and into Fox news and all that stuff. But the fact that they have this thing and, and his dad is like continues to support him, I think is really cool. Anyway, piano bitch. <laughs> Way to go. Dave's dad. Yes. Uh, Circle K. I don't know if strange things are afoot there. But mm. the song is a that's a um, it's a Bill and Ted reference. Yes. Uh, <laughs> okay. Circle K. <laughs> beautiful song yes about wasting money at a convenience store that he wanted to use to buy a skateboard yeah um i then there's so many reference self-referential things going on in this song mm-hmm. too yes it talks about the yellow bike again in verse two mm-hmm. uh and 
at the end talking about the good lord smiled and looked the other way yep um i feel like he's like there's he's paying homage to like to his older works in a way that it's like i don't know maybe people are thinking oh this is a new pedro he's trying to do something different but i don't know maybe these things are like a wink and a nod to the og pedro fans for yeah to be like you know i'm not forgetting right right i'm not forgetting these old things i'm still you know i'm that guy but i'm trying to do something different i'm trying to yeah. grow i'm trying to be better i'm trying to work through shit i don't know right I, but I, I appreciate that yeah and if he's sort of at this age making the decision to write very personally almost exclusively and have it be about his life and growing up it makes sense that he'd sort of look back on his discography and sure that makes sense reference too. Yeah. some of those things but yeah i like the idea that he's like i'm gonna throw in a casual bad things to such good people <laughs> reference on the song about circle k um yeah i agree it's one that i'm sort of like it, the metaphor for here for this one isn't necessarily like as obvious to me as like a, a yellow bike one where I'm sort of like, okay, so what, what does it mean? <laughs> I think it's just supposed to be supposed to be sort of evocative of that moment as a kid, again, like in the same way that having the freedom of riding a bike for the first time, wherever you want is such a specific feeling and age. I totally remember the freedom of spending your allowance money at a convenience store on comics or candy or whatever. Um, and I guess if, you know, he's, he's wasting all his money, he was saving up for skateboard at the convenience store. That's the sort of specific moment in a child's life. But then also it's like, yeah, as you said, it ends with <laughs> spend it all at the Circle K and the good Lord smiled and looked the other way. I'm like, oh, that's an interesting use of it here. Is it, is he sort of like, you know, winking and it's sort of funny or is it like, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean here in terms of you're sad that you spent your allowance money and god ignored you in that i don't know maybe it's just sort of a reference to how he was feeling in that moment of sort of feeling unseen or lonely again and sort of putting the spiritual angle on it but it is interesting that it that song is such a the original use of it in bad things to such good people is so right. powerful and <laughs> the stakes are life and death and this one is like oh i wasn't expecting that to come in here um but again uh musically this one's a real chiller, mm -hmm. uh, chilling out. It really grew on me over time. Uh, so again, some of the songs that felt a little meandering to me, I just sort of need time to settle in. And then they're like quiet grooves really stayed with me. And I just love the warmth of the gentle sort of picky guitar and bass parts throughout. I think it's great. I kind of let it wash over me and live in that circle K with him. You're uh, you're bathing in that Terrence Malick style golden hour glow. <laughs> oh yeah, oh you know it, so evocative. <laughs> Maybe his shadow is dancing along the pavement. Uh, <laughs> uh, sounds I mean, great. Do do you think? Um, I mean, you're trying. You're you're talking about like searching for a metaphor, and I don't know. Yeah. Maybe this is reaching. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I guess because I'm thinking about the, um, the yellow bike music video mm -hmm. where he's like going into in the, the convenience the store, store yeah. he's like buying booze and things mm -hmm. i'm thinking like is he thinking talking about like how he like wasted money like because mm. he's like all the candy and soda pop i'd like right. yeah you know yeah. and like yeah i don't know is he talking about like you know i'm like 
I got my I'm, I'm in this band now. I can really? buy all the booze and like yeah. spending all my money at the liquor store or something. And yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's that's maybe that's too much of a reach. I don't know. No, I, I think that's a fair uh, idea. That that makes sense to me. You know, the idea that you have if you have all the money to spend on all the stuff that doesn't really matter. How does that sort of metaphor extend? Yeah, it's, that's interesting. Yeah. Quietest friend. My number three this is my number one yeah uh, yeah i'm glad to see it on your list too yeah i i feel like this is um the thesis song of mm-hmm. this record yes totally yeah i mean we're back to this idea of the devil's bargain again which right. you mentioned earlier but yeah you know i think in verse one he's talking to himself as a kid staving off rejection which always hurt like hell i took right. the devil's bargain made a stranger myself if anything was wrong i couldn't tell so I didn't see it coming now, but now it's pretty clear. I traded my own wisdom for a jury of my peers. I ignored you for 30 years. Whew, that's like him telling himself, him telling this kid, you right. were ignoring your feelings. And then I continued to ignore that for 30 more years. Like that's such a, a powerful thing. The idea that he ignored himself for so long and now he's trying to connect with himself and, and with the kid that he was again is, is just like so powerfully laid out here. But I think thematically what makes it, powerful to me in a way that maybe the other songs don't quite get to is like he switches from himself to a friend right um in school and like you know if he's sort of confronting painful things in his childhood it makes sense that he'd both be talking to himself as his quietest friend you know quiet because he denied himself uh because he thought that was what discipleship looked like or whatever and quietest in terms of an actual friend who he 
alienated as a kid and sort of trying to make peace with both of those things now it just hits me so hard there are a couple songs yeah in these couple records that that call up moments in his childhood and adolescence that i can picture my version of so uh so well like i could just imagine them so easily in the same way that he's describing they hit so hard because i feel like everybody has a version of this um but yeah in verse two he says fifth grade in the lunchroom fickle friends were telling jokes making you the punchline of some random thing i wrote they were looking to me to land the final blow just to be included went straight up to my head i thought the joke was too stupid for it to matter what i said i was wrong but i went along with it and that part hits me so hard also because musically what's happening is like the guitar starts doing all this weird woozy off kilter stuff. Yeah. Um, which is kind of matching the uneasy feeling that he's recalling um, in that moment. And then that kind of climaxes in this big hit uh, right at the emotional gut punch of that section and the drums start hitting really hard. I just love I love what he's doing thematically. I love how he's matching that with the music. I feel like I really like the guitars going yeah. hard. The drums are going hard. The baseline uh, rules. Riding that crash, dude. That crash is all over the place here. I love the drums throughout. But yeah, it's the sort of it's that hard rocky guitar sound that starts off almost with like kind of a petty vibe, a Tom Petty feeling, but then it like builds into something weirder and a big emotional payoff that's really matched musically uh with the emotion so i don't know it's a very emotional song for me it feels really big and then these guitars feel huge by the end of it and i don't know i just i really like it yeah this this also feels um like some like it could be a bright eyes song Mm, from yeah totally the early 2000s or something right yeah guitars start doing weird stuff and then it's sort of builds if we could maybe some if hear some of that what i'm describing sure. it's around like 2 30 where the guitars start kind of going kind of wild love it yeah we need to um talk about the bridge though yeah it really culminates for me in the bridge (laughs) yeah um no shit (laughs) (laughs) we're 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 just hearing this whole song basically but like (laughs) i just love what the melody does in the chorus there and then the melody gets to the sort of big aching finish with the bridge so
outstanding. Ugh, it's so good, man. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> the music is so good, and the lyrics of like, he's like, okay, so what do I do with this? My quietest friend, my my quiet me. What do I do with this kid whose feelings I hurt? Um, yeah. whose feelings I denied. Right, right. Not just, yeah, yeah. You know, just like whose feelings I didn't allow myself to right. feel for decades. Yeah. But and and the kid, the other kid, the other kid at who, school. Yeah. Like, so what does he do? He's like, well, I could put it on a record about my hometown. <laughs> like, I'm going through this. And so what I've decided to do is like write this really personal album and I'm honoring that kid who's me and this other kid here. I'm listening now. I love that it ends with that because he's like, yeah. I'm listening to you myself <laughs> as a kid and I'm listening to my friend who I should have like stood up for. I just, I don't know. It really, it really makes me emotional. Yeah, uh, man. I just think it's so good. I've, I love his vocals there too. He's really going yeah. for it. Um, yeah, this is another one, as you said, that has a, a video again, directed by Jason Lester. And it's very much a companion piece to the yellow bike one. Oh, for sure. Um, it's two Bazans again this time, but they're, yep both him this time he's got one green hoodie and one red hoodie and the red one is sort of running from the green one um he you know he's seen with his son a lot again here in this one but um the green the green hoodie one is and then where, where that emotional bridge comes in the two of them finally meet up with each other and they're finally yeah. kind of seeing each other yeah and i think the idea is the adult self who's kind of the red hoodie one is sort of meeting the or vice versa i guess meeting the the child self i just think it's a yeah again like a powerful way to sort of visualize that idea i think it's really cool yeah and the this idea of running from mm -hmm. your past self or running trying to escape the unavoidable reality right. of, of confronting what yeah. you have been through right I think the first time I watched it too, I was like, are they going to like smile at each other or like hug or something? And are they going to be mad? But instead they're just sort of like really looking at each other, like really seeing each other. Yeah. Um, I'm listening now, you know, I just, man, we talk a lot about like therapy on the spot and like how a lot of these problems might be addressed by going to therapy. And it, this, this feels to me like someone who's really doing the work to try to put the stuff yeah. into practice to somebody who's heard a lot about being in his body and yeah. Um, listening to yourself and listening to others really listening i think it's i don't know it sounds to me like somebody who is um trying to do uh, the the good work you referenced earlier in a way that is uh meaningful for me yeah love it tracing the grid
you think about this one? Um, you know, I, I feel like there's there's a similar thing kind of going on to uh model homes on this yeah. one. Yes. Uh similar style talking about <clears throat> talking about houses. Um the the musical style is um not too dissimilar. Yeah. Um yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it doesn't really do a ton for me. <laughs> it's not one of my favorites. And no. I think I tried to sort of I think you're totally right. I, and I tried to sort of I'm like maybe I'll fall into a place with this one like I did with something like Model Homes, but it just never it's not especially interesting musically to me. Although there is sort of a cool, wistful vibe to it. Um but you know, I take it as sort of I think it's about him driving around today, the places he grew up as a kid and sort of picturing things that happened then and contextualizing them as himself today. Um, that's what I get from it at least. And he's like, it, it, it ends with him saying, someone is calling me, someone is following, someone is finally listening. Um, and again, I find that powerful. I'm not totally sure what it means, but I, I guess I kind of take it to mean like maybe now he's sort of, he's maybe found that community. People are listening to him. He's listening to himself. Um, right in a way that this kid who he's remembering driving around um, wasn't being listened to or wasn't listening to others. I don't know. I, I do like it. It just doesn't really click into place, but I think there's some really cool things about it. You know, I was saying about how there might be sort of a companion piece to model homes mm -hmm. uh, in model homes. He's talking about looking at model homes again, tired of where we live, hoping that it's not if, but when, mm -hmm. and when will the wait be over? And then tracing the grid, he said, I never dreamed that I would find another way home. Mm -hmm. And so maybe if he's talking about tracing the grid, aka like driving around and just, mm -hmm. you know, driving around these different roads that maybe these roads that he's used to driving or like now he's not driving the familiar road, the familiar right. roads to go to a specific place he used to live. But now he's driving a road on tour and he's going yeah, to yeah. a different place now. And that's right. the place that he's calling home. And he did, you know, find a way to mm -hmm. not live in a tomb on <laughs> right. you know, Sunday afternoons. Yeah. No, I, obviously a lot of this, the whole point of this sort of project in this album is like, what does home mean? And, you know, for him, home was Phoenix and then this house was home but then extending that to mean like well what is what is home for me today and right getting home as a kid and how do i find my way home now i don't know there's a lot there's a lot to explore there and i think there's probably some of these songs especially in the later half that i sort of am maybe missing the full weight of but i don't know I, it is interesting black canyon just after midnight black canyon freeway
this I was a fascinating one. This is a fascinating song. It's more of a, telling a story than I think maybe some of the other songs yeah. are. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a real melding of, I feel like the references to, to, to priests and paramedics and to transcontinental are there if yeah. you want to see them. Um, and those are both sort of stories, but I, I can't remember if we, when we talked about priests and paramedics, if we talked about this or if this is a true fact, or if he just made this up, I thought I remember just being true that his uncle was a paramedic and that's where he heard some of this from. So he references his uncle Ray. I can't remember if that's real or not, but you know, ostensibly it's about this guy who steps in front of an 18 wheeler and obviously dies, but that we go to these, uh, paramedics and first responders finding him and that the first person who finds him he's still alive and the guy is kind of trying to reckon with what happened um but then it sort of moves into this second part about the 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 fire engine driver who arrives and it makes a point to say that she's a woman and she goes to see the body which ends up really messing with her um and it says you know she gathered herself and crept back to the truck, remembering all the time she'd nearly given up. She had to be twice as human and just as tough. She knew it was never enough, never enough to get this truck off my back, which is the same thing that the the guy who was killed says. So it's like, maybe it's because she's a woman um, on this force. It feels like she has to do more. Maybe it's just because she's thinking about her own life and struggles, but I don't know. It's, it's another, this feels more like sort of control territory. Um, yeah at least thematically um, of seeing this broken body and the guy saying, get this truck off my back. Don't know what I expected, but that really hurt bad. Like it just feels like this very stark sort of surprising dark story. And then this woman wrestling with what that means for herself. But I love how it ends both musically and lyrically where what he sort of comes to from the story is, Tell them your stories. If you carry them by yourself, the gorier the details, the more you walk alone in hell. And I think the idea is, you know, how does this man and then how this this woman who finds him relate to sort of Dave's story throughout the album is sort of like she's been keeping things inside. Presumably this guy's been keeping things inside. And they're her ability to sort of think about her own story isn't allowing her to sort of process this in a way that priests and paramedics typically can. Um, so I think the idea is like, well, share, share your story, share yourself. If you, if you let, if you keep them all in these gory details of that look like the gory details of somebody who might experience a horrendous accident or, or suicide or something. So I don't know. I feel like there's a lot, going on and it's maybe i'm not smart enough to parse it again it sort of feels like a short story you might read in an english class or something yeah um but i i think it really builds to satisfying ending and it sort of starts in this sort of meandering way but if we could maybe hear at like 4 45 how this all sort of comes together yes we ha we haven't mentioned uh how uh, long of a song this is right it is a long one Yeah. 
That's so cool. It's super cool. Just the guitar, the bass, the drums, those harmonies stacking on each other, all just kind of going wild. And I feel like by the time it gets to there, I'm like, oh, maybe I love the song. I don't know. <laughs> it takes yeah. a long time though. And it's 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 a journey. Know. It's a journey. And there's a lot going on. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like it's one that I need to spend more time on or time with. In in addition to sharing the stories, if I feel like it works well with what he's been saying on the album about I'm listening and yeah, yep. you know, where are my people at and mm-hmm. who, who are you sharing your stories with and who's mm-hmm. listening? And there's, there's probably something all in there. Yeah, <laughs> I think no, we're both, think so. we're both trying to like uh, <laughs> make sense of a lot of the stuff that's happening in the song. And yeah. Um, but there's, yeah, there's a lot, I think there's a lot there to unpack and yeah, um, for sure. He also even saying, <clears throat> my people is sort of evocative of the song people uh by bazan um where he talks about like you are my people and sort of him making not making peace with like but what do you do with family who hold beliefs that you find like evil (laughs) um he's like well i can't just say well you're bad and i'm good he's like you are my people so how do i live with that so i feel like even that there might be some reference to that song or that sort of mode of thinking i don't know it, it there's a lot going on sure is <laughs> uh my phoenix This is my number three. Got it. Cool. Um, powerful taboo, definitely a contender for me. Um, but I just, I don't know. This was one that the more that I sat with this record, the more that I was like, I really love that song and respond to it. It's such a heavy one. I love that guitar sound. I love the drums. The drums are really going wild here. But I think it's like, it gets really driving for me by the time of the, the second verse. Um, 
he kind of his voice goes up it starts getting a little faster and there's so much in the song lyrically to unpack um he i, I mean I, I take the song as sort of being one about not recognizing the city he was raised in in some ways or right not being sure about it um but still appreciating it much like the people he came from uh again kind of like the my my people song and also in the song strange negotiations um on that record the i thought you saw it too i swear i learned it all from you but now our home is burning and you don't have a clue that's like a direct reference to the song strange negotiations where it's in that song he's basically saying like i thought i learned my values from you but now that i'm seeing the world crumbling and you're like cheering it on i'm very confused um and their home is burning in the sense of like the country and the world and phoenix being a place where there are all these flags waving around, but he's like, uh, this place is actually burning to the ground and we don't see it. Um, but yeah, it, and it also is like powerful in the sense of, so in verse two, he's like, if the vision of the Christ my family sees is my blurry vision's greatest enemy, then I still get, then I still try to tune it in when I get lonely. You know, I chase around this desert because I think that's where you'll be. And that last part is a is a reference to the Randy Newman song God's Son or God's Song. And Bazan has covered Randy Newman um at least uh once or twice. And I feel like he's a good match for him, or at least the sort of previous version of Bazan that's more sort of biting and sarcastic. Um but yeah, in that song he he says he chases around this desert because he thinks that's where I'll be. And I just love this idea of like the desert being Phoenix whether it's Bazan as a kid or Bazan now chasing around because he thinks that's where God might be. Um, and he's kind of saying like, if, if my, if, if my family's version of Jesus is like right. my enemy, <laughs> right. Why do I still, when I get lonely and think about when I was growing up or being raised and I think about my family, why do I still think about that or cling to it? Or even like, when I get lonely, this is something he talks about in the strange negotiations documentary, like still when he gets lonely, he has to almost like fight the idea of turning to prayer, turning to God, or he did at one point where it's like, if this thing that <laughs> I have completely severed from, and I find to be like toxic, right. Um, is something I've sort of made peace with moving on from how come when I feel lonely, I still think about that same version of of god or jesus i don't know i think mm. that's a really interesting idea and sort of you know whether high and lifted up or the dust becoming dust somehow i'm still in love with my phoenix it's like this and again through high and lifted up he's sort of referencing worship song and the dust becoming dust obviously a you know sacramental church saying there's something he he finds both comforting about all this stuff um in his childhood and in phoenix where he experienced it and also that he finds to be his enemy, but it's all mixed up together. And so he he still believes in the place, even if he's disappointed in it. I don't know. I'm not saying it as well as he is, but I think there's a lot of power in a lot of what he's talking about here, even if I'm not summarizing it well. And I just, I, I don't know. It goes so hard and he's chasing around the desert, trying to find something he still can't quite find. I don't know. I just find it a really meaningful idea. Um yeah, this one really resonates for me. You know, it's it can't 
say it like you're like you think it mm-hmm. and you can't think it like <laughs> exactly. you feel it you can't <laughs> he says you know. it for me though i don't know yeah it 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 works for me in a in a powerful way the idea of like even if i've sort of logically made my peace with this um i'm still sort of chasing around the desert looking for this stuff in a way i don't know i find that I find that really cool. You know, it's almost like uh, two dudes in their uh, late 30s <laughs> talking about albums from over 25 years ago. Yeah, we're just chasing, chasing those albums around the desert, <laughs> looking for some meaning. Just chasing Reese Roper around the desert. <laughs> Sounds uh, fun. Yeah. Jer, Jeremy. Oh, um, man. I haven't done a, haven't done a, <laughs> no, a Reese Roper Jer- a Jeremy in a while. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, this is... Uh, great song but the the chorus the my phoenix part and the just like the the drum yeah yeah i don't i don't know it's so hard yeah the rhythm is just a little bit like different than than right anything else he's he's doing so totally it's kind of off the syncopation or something yeah exactly yeah the penultimate song Mm. all seeing eye into it oh yeah god this is so cool i love this (laughs) (laughs) if i still say here i am when something wakes me up interesting one yeah it's uh it's <laughs> one of those bizarre songs where there's not like a a clear delineation no. between verse and chorus so it just kind of keeps going and... yeah i sort of see it as of a piece with um piano bench and uh the first song because it's sort of like synthy driven just sort of vibes it's fairly short um and eventually in this one, there's a, a beat that we heard a little bit of and a bass line that comes yeah. in, uh, but it doesn't build to too much. It's really sparse, but I love, again, I love the sound of it. There's not a lot to it, but I like what it's doing a lot. Um, and again, coming out of my Phoenix, sort of talking about God and the desert and stuff, all seeing eye, I think it could mean a lot of different things. Um, and he has this repeated frame, how can this be goodbye? which I assume is sort of about leaving Phoenix, but also about leaving his old self behind. Um, 
and he's got this thing in the in, in the opening um about waking up at 4 a.m. if i still wake up at 4 a.m and, and think here i am which i think is a reference to in the book of samuel uh god calls right. him in the middle of the night and he says here i am like in the lessons we're supposed to be ready to do that god calls you in the middle of the night you, you wake up and say here i am and it's yeah. sort of like he's still got that in him and <laughs> I, I don't know i think a lot of this is still about like what does he sort of do with a lot of this <laughs> yes. stuff he still has in him from that childhood uh, yes yeah um, yeah, if I still see desert roads when I close my eyes and long mm. for home, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I think about this, this too. Um, you know, we, we talk about these, these bands and these albums and this, ex, these experiences we have and, and we've had growing up and, and in a lot of ways, this has been the pod has been therapeutic and mm-hmm. it's been important and significant connecting with a lot of other people who have this has been part of their journey and their experience too and mm-hmm. um and when when you think uh the only sky i've ever known whether that's you know the your only home that mm-hmm. he as as a kid he he all he knew was arizona and that's the only faith he ever knew and uh and so if you if the only thing you've ever known is one thing one way of thinking about the world and you've only lived one place like what you do after that mm-hmm. tbd yeah. i guess yeah right yeah i don't know I, I feel like these last few songs i'm like again there's a lot to unpack here it probably could be said better than i'm able to say it in this moment but it there's a lot of evocative language and certainly invites uh interesting analysis but yeah also just kind of washes over me in a cool vibe and i'm into it all right um last song leaving the valley another long one i 
another interesting one slow burner slow burn for sure uh yeah it starts in this again kind of like hard rocky or classic rock kind yeah. of place yeah. and then ends in this very different uh contemplative place and then builds back up into this kind of big rock finish so i don't know i it's it's an interesting one uh the the closing of the album is the only place for it um but at like uh halfway through it sort of moves into the same music as the beginning of Havasu. Like the first song on Havasu is the same uh, chords and stuff that's happening uh, halfway through this song, which sort of makes sense thematically because he's sort of, the song is about leaving Phoenix behind and going to Havasu. Um, and that continues in the next album. Um, and the same thing happens with the end of Havasu and Santa Cruz. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, the idea of the chorus, how do you stop a rolling stone? How will you know when you're finally home? I take and Bazan sort of looking for home literally and, and metaphorically as in sort of post-faith um, and finding himself literally. And then there are all kinds of references to old stuff here. Yeah. Um, in verse two, it says, uh, wish it would rain now. Like Hilda always says, the devil beats his wife again. And uh, again, the song cold beer and cigarettes, the, parenthetical or the alternative title for that was the de the devil is beating his wife um it says we we got our model home but what the lord gives he can take away raindrops on windshield is the wipers wave along goodbye that's also like directly from cold beer and cigarettes um the outro is directly pulled from the song hard to be where he says if i swung my tassel to the left side of my cap after graduation will there be no going back and in that song he's talking about sort of graduating to leaving his faith behind. Um, and in this song, he's sort of leaving behind his past and finding a new identity and asking that question again, trying to sort of make peace with it. I don't know. I'd, it's it's a, it's a weird one. It's not one that I'll like throw on regularly, but it's fun to kind of go on the journey and track him along these, you know, he's referencing a bunch of different places and um he's referencing songs of his past and he's referencing songs that are coming on future albums. So it's a really interesting sort of all encompassing uh, song for him. I mean, I, I understand the placement of this song. Yes. At the end of the record and yeah. trying to culminate in, in something. I don't, I don't know. Just, it doesn't, it doesn't do no. <laughs> the same for me as, as we talked about in, in previous ending, <laughs> ending tracks on, uh, previous records like achilles heel ending with the poison right which right. is just like a yeah. devastating end to to that record and i don't know this one just doesn't hit as as well yeah. for me as, as other songs on the record but you know no i i agree but i also when the like ding 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 of the beginning of havasu comes in i'm like oh this is interesting like he's doing something cool here there's uh that's it, one of those things that you you can only mm -hmm. maybe understand like once the picture right, the full right. picture is finally revealed so yeah i remember listening to this before have seen me like what what is happening <laughs> like we went from sort of one meandering style to another meandering style and it was just sort of hard for me to keep up with but i don't know now i think it's cool he's definitely um he's trying stuff with this I'm record here for that. and with the cycle and i like it yeah so you started hearing us process this in real time. I don't know. I'm still sorting out all my feelings, but obviously there's a lot to talk about here. We've talked a lot. I think there's so much on Phoenix 
musically and thematically that's like very rich and interesting to unpack yeah and very sort of different in a lot of ways from other Pedro and Bazan stuff but um again had a lot of fun getting into it and getting to know it better and talking through it with you eager yep. to hear very eager to hear what folks think about uh, this record uh and this sort of Pedro 2.0 so let us know at magnified pod on instagram facebook and twitter follow and subscribe to the pod if you haven't already give us a rating or a review we'll read your review on the pod those ratings those reviews help us out help those algorithms you can email us at magnifiedpod at gmail.com you can leave us a voicemail at 872-762-4763-8727 magpod you can support us at the patreon patreon.com slash magnified pod and we've got a couple new patreon punks oh, to welcome joel kircher welcome joel uh we heard his song last episode uh mm. played that uh, control inspired song from joel talented dude yes uh and another talented musician i hope i'm pronouncing your name correctly yara velconen yara welcome uh yara <laughs> is finnish and you can help me uh, with the scandinavian if it doesn't sound right but he uh is also a musician and you can find his stuff at yara velconen that's j-e-r-e-v-a-l-k-o-n-e-n dot f-i uh so welcome to both of you join the ranks of the patreon punks those ever-growing oh, yeah. ranks uh get those bonus episodes get that discord action uh it's a great time we will be uh we'll, we'll be covering cursor branches over there before we close out the bazan and pedro section um and you can pick up some new merch over at magnifiedpod.storeenvy.com thanks to small step records for sponsoring us check out smallstepperecords.com for more thanks to shadow producer jason and bruno at unoriginal vinyl for our artwork well i think i hear the voice of the spirit begging us to shut the fuck up we'll be back to try to make you go astray next week These open ringing chords and <sighs> the crash cymbal. So this song good, man. has got to be so loud live. Yeah, totally. I was very you, happy to hear it. Uh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> Someday, man. I mean, was it? I mean, did it like with a three person band? Does it does it feel like it's fulfilling the 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 full sound that you're you're experiencing on these records? Or it was surprisingly punch packing i think especially yeah. talia hall has great acoustics and it really filled that room so i was i was pleasantly surprised with it getting the job done of those electric guitars ringing out and sounding pretty huge yeah i think i think the more i listen to these two or two newer records i'm gonna i think i will appreciate them yeah. more in the future yeah. when I do finally see him yes. than maybe I would have appreciated them this last week. Yeah, I think so. For more shows like this one, visit rockcandyrecordings.com.